Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us we have a very special cast, the supply manager for the Legion of Doom, Craig. Autobots, transform, and roll out. The Secret Six, utility closet maintenance man, Mike. That's lovely. The Secret Society's gopher, Curtis. Chick, chick, chickaroo. Is that what a gopher says? I think it's more of a digging sound. Oh, my bad. Fuzzy little foreigner. The Masters of Evil coffee delivery guy, CBS. Some good they sent me for coffee because I don't really like it so much. And the IntelliCorps pin man. The guy who gets the pins when they run out of pins. R- Rob. Hi. Hi. <laughs> All right, well, that's Rob. We all got to start somewhere. <clears throat> yeah, you start at the bottom, you work your way up, Curtis. Don't I know it. Just what you see, pal. <laughs> it's irritating when you're coming up with an idea and your pin runs dry. <laughs> and you got too many pins, it's a problem. you the pin refill guy. <laughs> yeah. And they run they out of come pins? up with their evil plans if they didn't have pins? And I get new pins. Oh. Hey, well, they want donuts to send you to get things. I imagine they that are explosives. Donuts well, are good, ever, yeah. since, ever since the staple accident, uh, I don't get to bring food in anymore. Just because you have to wear an eye patch now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It helps with my evil disguise. <clears throat> like the Nick Flurry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this one's not working. <laughs> you know, it's why you don't look at it when you shoot it. The problem when we take the nail gun away from you. He was so much cooler when I didn't know the origin of the eye patch. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not something you tell people. Risky mm. business. I think that's a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so uh, today we're doing Thanos Annual. I think it's number one, right? It is number one. All right. Uh, Batman and Frankenstein. The Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 12. Lobster Johnson. Get the Lobster. Number four. That was kind of a question, but actually number four. It is number four. Yeah. Well, you know. all my sentences. Yeah. Well, it's in Swamp Thing, number 32. <laughs> the only bad question is the question that doesn't have a question mark at the end of it. Number 32? <laughs> I'm going to try it every sentence that way. As if I'm not totally sure. Isn't that an Australian thing? Don't they always talk in questions? No, that's just the accent. No, that's Montana. No, that's Canada. Canada is Montana. No, I mean, they talk in questions. I like that dude in the Road Warrior. Broke a couple of teeth off the timing, gee. Every sentence ends in a, you know. You ever seen paper? Yeah, you ever seen anything oh, as beautiful as paper? Oh my god! Oh! Waterman! <laughs> let's, let's cut Craig off. Gilman! He's, 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 oh, he's on a roll. Lost his goddamn mind. You guys want to be in on this. <laughs> hey man, we the, I don't. Define the word want. We were hurting for a fifth. Yeah, oh, was that? You're like the fifth Beatle, except less cool. You guys are usually done by now. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It is rather late. Right. So, uh, um, any news uh, on the internet? Yeah, I guess Curtis? Nope. Man, that's such lies. Mike, you got some news from the internet? 
I, you know, I don't think so. That's also a lie. <laughs> Lies. Where's Ross when we need him? You know what? That's a good question. Somebody was director of... <laughs> There's a guy it? doing something with movies. Yeah. Was it Bane was supposed to be uh, on the wish list for Doctor Strange, is that right? <laughs> no. Bane was on the well, wish yes. list for Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yes, so it was, it, it's true. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Oh. And, uh, the, and uh, the Sherlock Holmes guy. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict, yeah, yes. Cumberbatch. Which I think I could see him doing. Like He could be a Doctor Strange. Be all right with I that. think he looks too... <clears throat> not. He just needs a mustache, He man. looks like a bulldog. Tom and I don't Harding mean to be mean because I like the Sean dude. Connery accent. Hmm. I don't think it'd be. I don't think it'd actually be the Bane accent. During By him. the hoary hosts of Agarath. That's not even. That's that's not, I don't think that's it's close. Like, it's the Eye of Agamotto. <laughs> right. Kind of like Bane Cat. Like Bane, yes. Think <laughs> Bane Cat and then Doctor Strange words. Let me show you sense. where I've made my home. I was born in darkness. Molded by it. Oh God. Okay, well that was a lot of control for a second. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so there some people they're thinking about for Doctor Strange. Uh, they've got some. Who they announced the second director for the spin-off Star Wars movies? Yeah, the first one was that Edward Gareth who did Godzilla, right? And this is the guy that did Sinister. So there's two spin-offs with two directors, but they haven't named what the spin-offs are about. No, no. Mm. The last I heard was uh, that uh, Boba Fett was supposed to be the first spin-off, and then there was going to be a Han Solo spin-off. But well, yeah, but that's I, all. But that was like. Uh, Hyperboy, wherever, whenever. So. so, remember what I said, like back when they first bought Star Wars, that I was really hoping they weren't going to turn into the land before time. Why <laughs> would you even think that? Because, man, there's like eight million of those movies. Right, but they're not good. Exactly, these could be good because they're live action. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if live action just makes things good, but yeah, I know. it does. Have you seen Journey to the Prehistoric Planet? That can work as a I cartoon. I think you made that up. <laughs> I don't think that's a real title. Uh, it's German or something. I don't know. I don't know. But I've seen more... the Wolverine standalones, and they're only shooting 50%. Well. Yeah, the first one, the second one's fine. <laughs> what about uh, Warren Ellis leaving Moon Knight? <clears throat> All right, Warren Ellis leaving Moon Knight, along with... Uh, Shelby. Declan Shelby. Declan Shelby, both, jumping the boat. So I guess we'll see what happens with that book. What did Rob say about that earlier? Does that mean they got to start back at number one? That's right, yeah. And they got real mad about things. Because Brian Wood's going to be replacing Ellis. Which, I mean, Brian Wood actually is fantastic. I can't believe he keeps up with as much as he's doing. Him and Charles Soule both. Yeah. Charles Soule's a machine. Yeah, he is. I don't know how he does it. Wasn't there also something about um, recasts for Ant-Man? I don't know that I think part. that was some, weren't those like producers or directors? I think it's director names. Um, I don't remember okay. what they were. <clears throat> Didn't you mention the, uh, Josh Trank earlier or something? I read that, but I don't remember what it's for. Uh, yeah, I don't. We're not very good We're on top of it now. <laughs> Without Ross here. Yeah. Well, there's only one of us that has internet in his brain, okay? What's his name? <laughs> Normally I'd say it was Craig, because <laughs> he sort of does. So we got a good look at Run on the Accuser. On that. Oh, right, Run on the Accuser in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. He looks pretty badass. And there was some hero clip news, too. Uh, that they put out a bunch of pictures for the Black Lanterns for Heroclix? Yeah, oh, yes. for the uh, War of Light. Right? Yeah. Some pretty cool ones, but it's all upkit weirdness, so it's like, 
Yeah, basically making what seems like the best set they've ever made, and you can't get it anywhere. <laughs> well, you have to win it, Rob. That Necron looks really cool. Yeah. And what was the the Zox looking? What oh was yeah. Like? yeah, one of the other Black Lantern Ball guys. Yeah, he looked fantastic actually. It's too bad. Giant skeletal head. <laughs> he looked pretty cool. Well. Chances are, whoever gets them will be like, I don't want these things. And put them on the internet. For Boom, eBay. Fifty Boom. bucks, sixty bucks a piece. Yeah. Well, at first, but then yeah, go. give it, give it, give a couple months and go down to the yeah. what, like five buck price probably. Most of the most of the stuff that was coming out of um, Fear itself has dropped significantly. So, I imagine the same thing will happen here. It's just we don't have a big enough. Group. You'd think you know they would uh, make a deal out of that and, and release an actual set. I mean, there's a lot a lot to that yeah yeah well in the end what they're really doing is they figured out that if they make pieces that they have to trap game stores into buying that doesn't matter if they're buying any more or not and they can make less stuff and just sell them super expensive op kits it's going more toward tournament play yeah as opposed to just friends fun. coming around and, and doing it rather than being fun yeah. Now it's one on one instead of our four person maps. Yeah, man, they totally they got rid of those maps last year though. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. which is unfortunate. Yeah. They've been going to a two person <clears throat> format for a long time. Yeah, probably uh, since two thousand ten. Just like every three or four sets, like the previous sets, worthless. Well, not worthless. It's kind of like I mean. Magic the Gathering. Though. Yeah, I don't know. They really it, it's it's one of those things. Like for a while it was fun. They almost drove themselves out of business by being stupid, and now. They merge with NECA, and they're like, huh, you know what's funny? Magic's been around for a while. Let's just do what they do. Except with plastic figures. Right. NECA. Which almost works. I mean, sort of, I guess. But, eh, eh, yeah. yeah they're going to kill themselves again. We'll put Mage Knives out again. That's a good idea. They did. Have right? <laughs> anyway, so enough about what I don't like about that company. What do you like about that company? You know, I like their figures are better now. Like, they're painted better. It's still a fun game. Like, the... 3D objects are cool. They added a couple more movement things. I don't know. There's still some cool stuff about it. All the different playable type stuff. I mean, yeah, you got some duds in there, but as far as, like, sets are concerned, I mean, we've got Days of Future Past, like, Legion of Superheroes, uh, Captain America, movie and not movie, they, Yu-Gi-Oh, of all things, and they're all playable. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, what, what was the, what's the movie with the giant robots fighting <clears throat> Blizzard? Pacific Rim. Boom. And those are awesome too. They're a little way overpowered, which is whatever. Well, but. they are giant robots. The soup managed to be able to fry a freaking robot up. Heat vision, baby. In a Jaeger, you can fight a hurricane and win. What does that have to do with heat vision melting the crap out of you? Not if it's a sharknado. Hey, mm. that's a different kind of. They never counted oh. on a sharknado. No one ever did. No one ever counts on sharknado. <laughs> Tara Reed did. Or a sequel. But she, Tara Reed did. Mm. <laughs> I guess so. Put on bomber. But I'm still waiting for uh, Gorilla Kane. <laughs> Is that anything like Citizen Kane? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's a lot uh, less court in it. But so. my boy Ice T is going to be involved in that one. Awesome. So what is the next DC set? Of clicks? Yeah. yeah. Any idea? I don't think they've announced an actual set yet. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so the Marvel one's the... the next one's Guardians after. Right. So Days of Future Past just came out, and Guardians mm -hmm. is the next one after that. Yeah. So we're just finishing up Deadpool. They're so. pumping them things out, Marvel is. Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's no different than the way they were doing the, the, the gauntlet thing. 
Whenever they did the Infinity Gauntlet. Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah. and then they did the Batman Belt. And they did the Batman Belt. So Batman, they had a lot of Bat, they had a lot of DC sets at the same time. It's just like they picked a brand and ran with it. So. Well, and plus, Marvel movies are coming out sequentially. Right. Pretty well right and left, so. Yeah, I don't know. They haven't killed it yet, but, man, if they continue to go this way, I have a feeling it's going to be a real nightmare for everybody. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so there's something else I want to talk about that's kind of a nightmare. Uh, also in the news, I don't know if all of you know about this or not. I know you do, because I beat it into your head yesterday. I know Rob knows, so I beat it into his head, too. Okay, so Nightwing 30 came out, like, within the last two weeks. And, uh, for everybody who's been paying attention to Forever Evil, we know some pretty big things happening there. And so any Nightwing book is all part of whatever the story is. Well, earlier this week, there was, uh, some art released on the internet that came from the original solicitation of the original version of Nightwing 30 that was advertised, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to remember the catalog it was in, but they delayed the book almost a mo- month and a half because of the Forever Evil ending. So, like, Nightwing fell behind with the numbering, like, everything else is on 32s, or 31s. The third, no, 32s this month. Yeah, 32s. Everything else is on 32s, and Nightwing just had 30 come out. And Justice League just had 30 come out because it got delayed because of that whole Forever Evil thing, which makes sense for the story. But in the end, that extra month, DC decided, oh, we're going to torpedo the first book. And uh, I, I got to see the pages, and man, they made a huge mistake. Huge. I mean, the, the book they put out is not a bad book. It's got some interesting stuff in there. you got some cool stuff with Nightwing and Batman, the whole decision what to do with Grayson and blah, 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 secrets and lies. And then the other book, like, I don't know if Mike's seen this at all. No, I don't, I don't know if Curtis has, or Craig has either, or if Ross has. But it's more of a tribute book. Like, the whole idea that, so in order to spoil it, I guess if you're worried about being spoiled for Nightwing 30, stop now. And then fast forward to the next point on the show. I think we spoil all the books anyway. Pretty much, that's how it rolls. So, coming downhill. So Nightwing's <laughs> supposed to pretend like he's dead, right? This entire version of issue 30 um, is done by an uh, artist. I can't remember her name. Megan Hetrick. Man, I, all day today I can't remember that. Megan Hetrick. And I've probably, told you like five times. I know, right? It was written by... James Tiny in the fourth. Boom. So, and the thing is, they so the book was basically done, art-wise. Obviously written because she has something to draw from. The pages look awesome. And as far as, like, setup's concerned, it's basically like a tribute book. I mean, you go through, I mean, it opens up at the airport, and you see, uh, for all intents and purposes, Dick Grayson. And then it goes to pretty much everybody mourning over him throughout his funeral. And it's awesome. Like, oh my god, it's awesome. The art's great. Uh, j- without being able to read the the, the actual pages, because there's no the, the art doesn't have any of the words on it. It's just the just the just the drawn and ink, what got inked of it before they decided to shelf it. Anyway, um, Megan, the art came out on Megan's uh, her dealer's art page, so that's how it got released to the world. Anyway, I have collected those pages and saved them and put them on our website. If you go to top5comics.com. On the first open page, there is a Nightwing button that's in the sort of the middle of the page, I guess. Or if you go to the main page, there's also a Nightwing button in the middle. If you click that button, it'll take you to a another page that has like a gallery of the pages in sequential order, so you can see what it should have been. Because even if they would have taken the half that Tim Seeley probably got shoved down his throat to make and mixed it with the other one, they would have got all the stuff they needed out of it, and it would have been a way better book. 
So it's really kind of a disappointment. It just makes you wonder how many of those happen that we don't ever know about. And the book was actually really, really strong. It looked more like an actual farewell where we saw the impact that he had on all the life of the Bat family. Whereas the 30 that they put out seemed to be more of a let's try really hard to sell Grayson. And I... Well, uh, and 30 was written by Tim Seeley. Right. The one that got released, and he's going to be writing Grayson. Uh-huh. So, like you said earlier, there's probably just continuity that they were trying to keep or, or bring to Grayson. I, I wish they would have just done 31. Uh-huh. You know, if, if this could have stayed as 30, we could attack that on pretty easily, and we could have the whole fight with Bruce and everything and be fine. Uh-huh. But No, I agree. Yeah, that would have been cool. They would squeeze another book out of it, too. That but it, good. it makes you wonder if this was Tim Seeley's request. Right. Because he's going into Nightwing, so let's cater this book closer to Grayson. Maybe. As opposed to DC having this idea, and then they change it when they have Tim Seeley coming on to write Grayson. I, I hate to think that it's possibly marketing team thinking that we're all so dang dumb that if we got this book we'd be like, oh, Nightwing's done. I don't need to ever continue on anything else. Right. I can't read any other books. Huh? I'm done altogether. <laughs> Go up to the shed and Cause, get a whip. Because this was like, yeah. it, it wasn't, it didn't trick you into thinking he was dead. No. But it was really, really like a great cap to that story. No, yeah, it was awesome. But, it's really disappointing that it's not the actual book. Yeah, I would have done, I would have done 31 and, and had you know, had Seeley's book be the 31, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's more marketing than it was thought, but it's too bad because I think people missed out on a great issue. We did learn one interesting thing, though, uh, in California as well, about mm. kind of the changes that go along with marketing. Uh, the particular cover for Batman and Red Hood, where we had Red Hood's mask shattering and we had Batman's face underneath it. Oh, right. The original artwork actually pulled out a little bit and we had red hoods guns at the bottom of the page originally it looked freaking awesome and they pulled from his original artwork the guns because batman's face was connected to it batman don't use no guns word Let's forget the fact that it was a mixed cover of the both of them but, it looked awesome yeah it, it was a really really impressive picture you know and you know, it's a strange choice once again that they decided to change it but yeah, it's hard to say. Hopefully there's not a lot of these going on. Man, I yeah, maybe we'd all be better off if we didn't know about it. Yeah, I really suggest you take a look at it and try to look it up because it, it's awesome. Like, the art alone is great. I mean, the story would have been, I'm sure the story is awesome. Anyway, um, so that's all I got on that. Uh, do you guys want to do a question from our uh, our listeners? Sure. We'll do one now and then we can do, we got another one. We got two this week. Two questions? Well, two. One of them came a little earlier, and we just been, I don't know, there's some stuff that got erased, and I don't know, a whole mess with the CIA. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, Curtis, question Already. go. Already. We'll, uh, we'll do the shorter one first. That's a good idea. <clears throat> so this one is from Mike. Hello. It seems like heroes have always, heroes always have to team up against a single villain, but villains rarely team up against a single hero. Why do you think comics are written this way? Other than the Sinister Six versus Spider-Man, what examples are there of a group of villains teaming up against a single hero? Thanks, Mike. Okay. Um, well, for me, it makes a more dramatic story when your villain is that much more powerful than your heroes. Mm-hmm. If your villain is somebody that you can easily deal with, like 
bank robbers for Spider-Man, who he's just flicking to knock out, the story isn't very dramatic. Oftentimes we actually have to have the bank robbers just to remind people that Spider-Man is so much stronger than an average human, because his villains are all stronger than he is. Mm -hmm. And we need insurmountable odds. That's what makes a hero a hero. Hmm. So going up against something that maybe they could lose against them, maybe. I think that's, that's with the with the idea of, of super villain teams versus heroes, yes, but superhero teams versus single villains. I think it, is he is he asking about villain teams going after heroes or hero teams going after villains? I guess depends on how the question's written. Thought that he was looking for examples of <coughs> villain teams going against heroes. It, it's a, a little, hero. but it's a little bit of both. It seems I can name more groups of villain teams going after single heroes, know, single heroes than villain groups going after hero right. teams. Right. Because yeah. I mean, we have Not crime just syndicate, a crime DC, syndicate, yeah. but there's the Legion of Doom. Everybody, but there's a, they were talking about that earlier, where that was on that animated. Where the crime syndicate was going after Superman, right? So, got Flash's no. rogues are more or less a union. Got they would be um, the only ones unionized, probably. <laughs> Brainiac and Lex Luthor team up. Yeah, to, to challenge Superman, Lex and Joker. And then we talked about maybe the Hand. Yeah, Hand's like a bunch of more like a bunch of nameless ninjas, but right. Like they, they they fall in the same. Me and Craig talked about that the other night too, actually. Uh, the hand and like Hydra and like AIM, they all fall into like a nameless ninja category. So you've got a few random pieces in there that have names. Steve's uh, counting out uh, any business types or. Uh, well, that's why I said you got a couple of names like Strucker and. Yeah. Uh, but they're surrounded by random soldiers. Like the League of Assassins. So are they really a team or are they like an army? So what's the difference between the two? The army doesn't have names, that's the difference. So. Well, it's like, like Strucker and. Uh, Zoloft, so yeah, or Red Skull and Zola. Or right, they're more of an organization, like right. an army. It's not the same as a team up. Yeah, like still... a team, everybody has names, everybody's part of the group. Whereas, like a, a army, it's, it's more. A it's a network. Yeah, I mean, you've got like four heads, and if they're Hydra, you cut them off, and then you, you wind up with sixteen. No, with four times four. Sixteen. Boom. There's heads. Know, Lady Deathstrike and the uh, Ravers. Yeah, it's the same problem. The League though. of Evil That's the Mutants. Same thing, though. They go after the entire yeah. team as opposed to a well, single. They're usually after Wolverine, though. Mm. Yeah, but Wolverine's like uh, team anymore. All he's on. on all the teams, but you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's he's really more of a team guy. For uh, for being a loner, he's a very uh, he's a very racist. social guy. <laughs> right. He likes to get around. That's what that means. But as far as like groups or organizations, I mean, I don't know. There's 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 quite a few of them out there. Just like I, there's not a book that's carried by that alone, save for like superior foes, which is like a newer kind of trend, I think. Yeah, but nobody's going after them. No, there is there's a group of villains. I mean, just like the Rogues Rebellion. I mean, they're a group of villains. They weren't really going after anybody. I mean, they were more running away from others that were also evil. A really great story. <coughs> But yeah, as far as like team ups are concerned, and there's quite a few. Wrecking crew. Yeah, the wrecking, yeah, the wrecking crew is a good one. Yeah, fighting yeah. Thor. Yeah, they're yeah. primarily mm-hmm. just the Thor villain too. So yeah, yeah, I think that's actually exactly where where it's coming from. That story. Huh. 
So yeah, I know there's there's several of them out there. As far as like reasons for them being written that way, uh, yeah, you want to have you want to have odds that the hero shouldn't be able to overcome. Thor's basically a god, and he fights a bunch of guys with enchanted weapons just like him. Uh, all of a sudden, it kind of puts it on an equal playing field. If all of them are hitting him at once, not the same as just one guy hitting him. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Like it's stacked that way on purpose in order to make it impossible for the hero to win, but they still do. That's the whole point. Most of the time. Well, yeah, there are occasions they lose, but it's usually not, you know. Yeah, it's, it's usually it's, not, you know, know, whatever. It does come up with, with comics quite a bit where people ask, you know, well, why do you keep reading these things when, you know, all you do is take the character and put them through as much hell as you possibly can? And the reality is... If Cyclops tomorrow could take off his visor and he was fine and he got a, an office job and he ran papers and got water out of the cooler, who cares? The conflict makes the stories work. You know, I honestly, comics are kind of their own little soap opera, and if it didn't have that conflict, it wouldn't work. So you can you have to have insurmountable odds. Right. right. That, that's why we can't just tomorrow go, oh, everything's fine and everybody has a great life. You know, because it's not an interesting story, though. So everything's everything's even. <laughs> our characters sometimes have to have to go through hell. That way, it's entertaining for us. <laughs> Take that, Peter Parker. <laughs> You're gonna suffer like nobody's suffered before. Very true. All right. Even personally, he suffered <laughs> more than anybody. Yeah, yeah. It would help if he didn't have an editor that hated him so much. Well, that would be <laughs> Jimmy Palmiotti. <laughs> Actually, Jimmy Palmiotti's not the problem. It's Joe Casada's problem. <laughs> Damn you, Joe Casada. He had one good thing going for him, and he had to be <laughs> he had to have her taken away. Well, you know, the he's devil through, does things that are messed up. Yeah, right. And I'm not talking yeah. about Aunt May. No, well, man. Although, why would you bring Aunt May into it? Always, always. Yeah, she's, she's, she's in the room. She's the catalyst. <laughs> she's the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. For a little lady, she weighs a lot. <laughs> Go figure. It's all those wheat cakes. <laughs> all right, that's enough of the wheat cakes <laughs> with the false teeth and whatnot. Okay, so uh, thanks for the question, Mike. Good times trying to answer things. Hopefully, that's what you were actually asking. I'm not. I, I, two versions of that in my head. I'm not really sure which one was which. So hopefully, that's at least close to what you're asking. If not, I guess you can, you can email again, man. Anyway, uh, so uh, we're gonna move on to uh, the Thanos annual. Right. We'll come back to the second question at the end. Sure. All right, Thanos annual. Who did the cover for this? There's three covers, Curtis. Jim Starlin. He did one of them? Ron Lim. Yeah. And I don't remember the third. All right. The only one that matters is? Jim Starlin. Hulk, okay. Because <clears throat> this is his character. Yeah, well, exactly. That's he created the character about. and then yeah. brought it to Marvel. That's why I said that. No, I know. Okay. I was giving a little backstory for people. Oh, right. And, he, got, and he, got, he actually got credit for it. He did. Did he exist in the universe before Marvel? No, he created the character, though, and then he got hired at Marvel and brought Thanos to Marvel. Because he's actually got a drawing that he drew prior to working for Marvel. That's dated. Mm -hmm. So he actually created it before he got on Marvel. Yeah, okay. So. Well, very cool. Yeah. So he ran the Thanos to the party is what he's trying to say. <laughs> and Thanos has been around for a long, long time. This story, I think, was supposed to cap off the Thanos Rising stuff. Maybe. Uh... Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be a prequel. But it, it connects 
when we first brought Thanos out up to what I believe is going to be a big event in the future. So, we'll see. Uh, the story is supposed to take place way back in 1974 for Captain Marvel, issue number 33. So it's right around the time of the Infinity Gauntlet and whatnot. And I oh, believe that was... Before that, I think. That was... Uh, he was doing a comic with Cupid. Jim mm-hmm. Starlin's last issue uh-huh. of that series. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. So, he was... Uh, this the, I, I just think it's amazing, but... I'm a big Jim Starlin fan. Right. So. But um, basically, we, we begin the story with um, Thanos musing about how invincible he is with the Cosmic Cube, and how you know, like he's he's obtained godhood now, and there's nothing that could possibly stand against him. And the only threat that he could really see was the Avengers, and he'd already taken care of them. And then uh, here comes this mild ignorance of like uh, Captain Marvel and Drax the Destroyer, and. How could they possibly stand against me? I'm completely omnipotent at this point. And, of course, you know, through Captain Marvel's ways, he manages to actually disrupt the Cosmic Cube, and Thanos suffers. Like a terrible defeat, yeah. Yeah, like a mind-crushing defeat. Like a a defeat that Thanos couldn't even begin to fathom. Yeah. And he's kind of breaking apart, and he's tasting death. But his big thing that is really ending him is failure, and a failure that he couldn't accept. And from there, he winds up being saved out in deep space by the Blood Brothers. And here's the thing that we probably did never come across in the old story, which is for a moment, he winks out of existence and is took into hell, where he meets Mephisto. And Mephisto is basically like, I want to recruit you, because I see that you have the potential to be something that's going to change the galaxy. Yeah, he mentioned seeing the future. Mm. But he knew that Thanos was going to be destined for great things. And basically, Thanos is completely broken. You know, nothing nothing that Mephisto could give him was going to make him regain himself. And we've really never seen that side of Thanos. I don't no, think so. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, there's the weird living on the moon, being a farmer, Thanos. Yeah. But for the most part, he's he's always so arrogant. Seeing him humbled is is strange, especially from Mephisto. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. In front of Mephisto, put it that way. The whole yeah, he's basically kneeling in front of Mephisto, Bro- like. a broken man. Right. It's just weird thinking. That. And I don't think it even matters that it's Mephisto. I just think it's. Well, yeah, but Mephisto's not a top level character in Marvel right now, so it's just weird to me that he's kneeling even in back, front of Mephisto. Even back then, he wasn't that. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, Mephisto's pretty big for a little while, so. Either way, though, continuing on, he's basically Mephisto's like, well, this is the this version of you is useless to me, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to find a version of you that's better. And so he actually kind of calls, like, kind of a wraith, almost like a ghostly version of a Thanos from the future, an avatar. Yeah, yeah an avatar. Um, this Thanos has already obtained the Infinity Gauntlet. And for a brief moment at the end of this, we actually see Mephisto in what is as close to his true form as we possibly see. Mm-hmm. That was really only big in the 70s and 80s. And like then we never went back to it, which is this kind of crazy chicken demon. The chicken demon thing is pretty crazy looking. It is. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure, that, I don't think it's Mephisto that summoned him. I'm pretty sure Mephisto wanted to just eradicate Thanos because he wasn't, the broken man in front of him wasn't good enough for him or wasn't something he could use, so he decided to eradicate him, and in the process, his beams get blocked by something, and he's like, what? That's when he turns and you see the 
like Avatar version of Thanos from the future. And what's really going on with that is that he split himself. Thanos, when he has the Infinity Gauntlet, has used the Time Gem and Reality Gems to split himself into a bunch of different versions of himself and send them out to explore things in the universe. And somehow he's realized that there's a pocket of time he doesn't remember. And this is the pocket of time. And so he's decided he wants to see that. And so he sent an avatar back. So he's got other avatars out learning whatever things. Because this avatar doesn't remember this event happening. Right. So that's why he's there. So he's there to watch it. So he remembers the dying in space, but doesn't remember meeting Mephisto. So he's basically there to watch it. And then ultimately the story leads around to where we figure out why that is the way it is. But yeah, he he basically decides that the real reason he's there is to try to help him regain his uh, I don't know, get his groove back. Is that how you would? I Thanos <laughs> got his groove back. Yeah. I don't know if it's even that. I think this one was more again. He was more about just observing. He seems to be more worried about observing what's going on in the world than than actually like actually helping Thanos. But he is very forthcoming with with Thanos about the Infinity Gauntlet and that ultimately. He'll fail again, right? And the broken Thanos is like, well, if you already know you're gonna fail, you might as well give it to me now, because I won't fail, right? It's like he doesn't quite grasp that this is him, anyways. And so he actually fights the Avatar to try to steal the Infinity Gauntlet from him, right? And they actually wind up falling through time um, to a point where they're kind of like in the prehistoric past, and the um, the Avatar. Like, kind of regains things and, like, continues to explain, like, the, the next steps in the future of, of where the glove goes and how it turns out and where it's going to go to. And so we have this whole kind of thing where we see what uh, one of his daughters has taken the, the Infinity Gauntlet from him is one of the things, and then uh, he introduces him basically to Adam Warlock and explains how Warlock is going to be, like, an important part of his... Future. future and how he has times where he's as much a hero as he is a villain and how Adam would ultimately prove to be stronger than Thanos and the idea that he gave up the infinity gems and made like a whole group of people and it was called his infinity watch including Thanos and that Thanos can't really comprehend that he would be part of this group yeah. but the avatar is like no but it works right and you're well, part of it works for a time that's yeah. for sure and then he also has the first uh, encounter where he, f he sees some of the uh, the abstracts. And uh, there's a really funny line here, but I'm not going to go into it right now. <laughs> but uh, we learn from there that you know Adam Warlock has to encounter his dark side, which is Magus, and then he has to encounter the like overly light side, which is the Crusader. Can't remember if they call her. They name her, I'm sure, but. I don't know if she I is. Think they I do. think she was just called the Crusader. I think the I can't goddess. Remember. Oh, goddess! That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was, she was goddess is, in, the, in the old Infinity Crisis. Thanos was basically like, well, "Man, this guy's more messed up than me. How could he possibly build things out?" And he's like, "Well, you know, he'll become more of an ally than you may ever imagine. And you have your own times to, that that these things will happen. And then we go and find like a crazy version of Thanos with a giant head that's like." capturing cosmic entities and spider-man and then we have uh thanos actually challenging the um galactus 
So he's like basically like you have some times where you're crazy too. <laughs> right. But uh but Warlock will be there for you. And basically I think I think he winds up asking him something about like have you seen our death? And he's like, I've seen your deaths in plural and he's like, I'll show you the one that I think's the best, which is mm-hmm. the one where Drax has ripped out his heart. Yeah, he's had many deaths and many resurrections. Uh, and he kind of talks about how he's destined to be somewhere in this hierarchy of of people that are going to be like some of the most powerful in, in the cosmos, you know, including the abstracts and like characters like Galactus and some of the the Beyonders and the Stranger and um, and some of these characters that like you can't even fathom what their abilities or their powers are, or what they're what they're about, and he's somewhere in the middle of that. But his destiny is to be a part of the changes that make this universe. And um, from there, he takes him to the point where he's he's never seen beyond, which is this place on the moon where we find Thanos standing just on a pile of bodies. And we can see in the pile of bodies, like, Thor and the Hulk and um, Drax and Silver Surfer and piles of Kree and Annihilus. And from there, he's watching on as the universe just ends, and it just becomes white, and there's just nothing left. And whatever this ultimate thing is going to be, it's going to be something that's wrapped up with Annihilus. And they make an interesting thing here, because they're basically like, well, you'll find out about this in Savage Hulk number 7, which at this point is like... In December. Five or six months beyond where we're at now. So... In the end, he basically tells him as well, like, even though I'm showing you all this now, you won't remember it. This is all something that's more for me than it is for you. Mm-hmm. But maybe at some point, you know, this, this will come back to you. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of awakens and he's on the table with the Blood Brothers. And he's, like, rejuvenated and ready to go on to to be more Thanos. And then we find the Avatar one more time. And he's watching himself and Adam Warlock come together again in front of Eternity. And whatever is going on there, he wants to bear witness to it, and Eternity is like, there's some things that even you can't watch. There's some rules that you can't even cross, and like he blinks them out of existence. And then, of course, they lead up with the, the idea that we will be seeing Thanos, the Infinity Revelations, coming soon. So. Which I believe is the original graphic novel. It's going to be drawn by Jim as well. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So the last I saw, he was still in his living death jello cage. Right. Have we? Anybody else encountered something beyond that point? Thanos himself? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No. It'll be interesting to see if if Starling's going to work on the series. I wonder if he's going to be also working to build out Thanos' son and then the Ebony Maw and all that. And it, this almost feels like an Elseworlds tell somewhat. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit. I, I can see what you're saying with that. Because there's a lot of continuity right. from Thanos from Jim Starlin to now. Right. In 74 to now. Well, yeah, the whole going from sort of a hero at one point to back to murderous villain to, like, there's a, there's been a lot of ground covered. And this book goes over kind of a lot of it. It mostly goes over a lot of the time when he was in the Infinity Watch and a lot of the weirdness with the, all the different... I mean, there's, the Infinity Gauntlet was the first one, then you had the Infinity War, then you had the Infinity Crusade. It basically goes through all those parts. 
But you remember that weird time when he was a farmer was right after Infinity or Infinity Gauntlet after he lost. So it's like this precursor loss with the Infinity or with the uh, Cosmic Cube is basically like the thing that kept him from just going crazy and giving up and floating out in space until he dies, I guess. It gives him a second chance to go after the glove. So like it, it's it's a, it's weird story a little bit. But you get a lot of continuity and you get a lot of explanation of Thanos. Recap. A lot of recap. Like a lot of recap. It almost feels like it's a wonderful life. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That's okay. what it almost feels it's like. It's definitely a different oh, tone than Thanos Rising. Oh, yeah. Comparatively, it's an entirely different style of story. And it's it feels like old school written, too, as well. Like it's straight yeah. out of the 70s. Well, you definitely were focusing less on the madness of Thanos. Although he talks about it quite a bit, like you're going to become quite mad. Mm-hmm. It it's not the focal point of the story. Where Thanos Rising was really like, oh no, he's always been crazy. And there's, right. yeah. And there's a moment in there where again he talks about you've died numerous times and you've been resurrected, and it's almost like this universe doesn't want you, or you have a place in this universe and you you can't be dead. Yeah, it's not ready for you to die. And it almost feels like that's kind of a stick at, at death and comics themselves. <laughs> because they always bring back the heroes. Right. right. And Thanos is a big player. And they keep bringing them back. Yeah. Well, this is Shooter's baby, so... He's Starling. Gonna, Starling's baby. Shooter. Same guy. No. Oh, my God. Different Just people. found a way to make two paychecks. <laughs> no, it's... it's a, so... I enjoyed Starling, it. Starling, a... He's uh, refreshing everybody since this is the first time he's been a character, a main character in his book for a while. He's been, like, the big bad. He's been the big bad in a lot of different books, but he hasn't really been, you know, the protagonist of a book in a while. So he's reacquainting people with his history and also saying which is going to be the important things to his story that he's going to tell with this character. Well, yeah, I'm sure this whole book is like setting up the next batch of stories in August. Yeah, that's I what it's that about. That um, the score book uh, might go. I'll give it a three. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's old school. Curtis, I'll give it a. I'll give it a four. Ron Lim's doing the art. Mm-hmm. Starlin, the whole yeah, it's good and it and it sets. For those who don't know Thanos, he's going to maybe a big player in the universe in the movies. Right. This will bring it to the forefront again, hopefully. I kind of think that's probably what they're leaning towards, too. The whole idea they're doing another Infinity series, it has to have something to do with the way they're moving to the gyms in the movies. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the two things won't actually connect. No. But it's like, we're going to run this in the background of the comic books. That way it's almost like there's more there than there is. Right. Yeah, that's something they do all the time. Uh, Rob? Uh, I'd probably give it like... I hate to do this because I, so I did enjoy the story, but I'd give it like a 2.5. Huh? It, it seemed a little a little heavy-handed, and it does give you all the, the backup stuff, but I'm surprised that they didn't touch much on the current series stuff at all. So I don't know if this is like they want you to think of this version of Thanos going into the next arc or what, but I don't know. Yeah, I... Oh, well, that seems to be pretty obvious. That's what they're leaning towards. Um, I, you know, I give it a three also. Like it's, it's classic storytelling. I'll give you the, about halfway through for a second. I'm like, man, what the heck is going on? Not because I was confused, but more like I was like, I can't believe we're recapping all this. Then Curtis said something to me that made a lot of sense. 
I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books with a lot of stuff in them. So, uh, me knowing Thanos is because I've read a lot of stuff with Thanos in it. So it's not the same as for, like, other people. And so it makes it made a lot more sense to me. I don't know. It was kind of cool getting to see the whole, like, basically him leading himself. That was pretty cool. And I like that idea. I like the idea that he was scouring the galaxy for more knowledge, too, which was pretty cool. Because we never really see him use the gems in a way that was any more than just destruction. So, like, that's pretty cool. Anyways, yeah, I give it a three. Uh, Craig? Sure. Three's good. That's what we like to hear. Alright. <laughs> Alright, uh, move on to Batman Frankenstein. Batman and Frankenstein. Written by Peter J. Tomasi. Oh, yes. Drawn by Doug Mankey, so I guess uh, Pat had a little time off. Something, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to beat Pat. I would say, I agree. I agree. So, we open this up in uh, the Yellow Sea. And we got a couple fishermen fishing on the ice, and a bat sub bust through the ice. <laughs> and uh, that would freak me out. Understandable. So hours later, we have Bruce coming out of the bat plane, and who does Bruce have with him but Titus, Damien's Damien's dog. Right. So they're watching, or he goes to the edge of this cliff and sees uh, Nanda Parbat, which was Justice League Dark. That's where. All that other stuff happened in Justice League Dark. Right. Now, if, if we go far enough back, wasn't that also where Deadman went to get his spiritual training? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. All that, all that stuff with uh, the Trinity Sin stuff is happening there. But yeah. So, uh, Bruce is going to make his descent down into what? What's the ruins of Nendet? Well, he sees that the city's gone. Yeah. So, and as far as where to, uh, you know. Who knows? Cause he's gone. So he's on his way down when he gets grabbed on the shoulder by, of course, Frankenstein. Dun dun dun. And Frankenstein's like, "Hey man, the last time we were together, you left me in pieces." And it took that Tim or that yeah Tim. Does he call him Tim? I don't think he calls him Tim. He mm. calls him Robin Kid. I think. I think he calls him Red Robin ultimately, but does he? Yeah. Yeah. It he, took that Red Robin boy twenty-seven straight hours to stitch me back together. And he's like, and you decided to use me as a lab rat to resurrect your dead kid, and um, he's got him by the scruff of the neck, and right. and he says, I just want two things from you: one, an apology, and Bruce says, I apologize, and then the funny part is, and tell your dog to stop chewing on my leg. So that was the second request because <laughs> right. Titus is over there chewing on a dead man's leg. It's funny. Well, Titus crops on right at the beginning, and he just kind of hangs there. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, you know, Frankenstein either didn't react to it or he didn't attack the dog, so... Right. And then, uh, Batman asks, so what happened to Nanda? And Frankenstein said it, it went into the sky. How can a, a, a city just go into the sky? And then, uh, he recaps what happened in Justice League Dark where, uh, Necro and... can't remember the other dude. Felix Faust. Felix Faust were, used that as... Yeah, they were trying to like magical. Yeah, I think they were trying to focus the mystic energy of the city into mm -hmm. weapons for themselves, and then they tried to turn the Justice League Dark into living weapons somehow. Yeah, it's all magic mumbo jumbo. Mm. True that. Bum bum bum. And then uh, superstitious nonsense. So they're talking, and, and Batman recaps why he's there. He's been tracking uh, Rachel Ghoul, and this is his 
strongest. He's, he put like a GPS in his blood. Yeah, he started with a dart in the previous uh, issue of uh, Batman Wonder Woman. Yeah, and this is the strongest. Uh, like nano tracker. Yeah. It's been mixed with his blood, and he has a certain amount of time before the blood washes it all out. But he's been tracking Rasagul with that. And so he knows Rage is here because his blood is here. And, and he's telling Frankenstein that Rache is going to use it to resurrect Damien and, and his daughter. And, and uh, Bruce is like, I don't want anything to do with him. I just want my son at peace. Yeah, there's some pretty good shakedown stuff in there from Frankenstein about that. Yeah, because I think Frankenstein first is like, wasn't that what you wanted? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you took me to begin with. And now he's like, well, I'm more at, I'm more at peace and I'd rather him be able to rest mm-hmm. than have this unnatural life. Right. And he kind of doesn't want to ask Frankenstein for help because he knows he likes his solitude, but hey, Frankenstein's a good bloke, so right. he'll help him out. So we cut to uh, Raish, who's nearby, and he's having presumably Damien or I can't remember his daughter's name. Talia. Talia, Talia being dipped into a pool. It looks like they reactivated a Lazarus pool. I don't know what the red thing is because I don't remember seeing that before. They've got like a red, almost looks like a red gem or a red, like some kind of crystal. Crystal that they put into it, but yeah, and we can't really tell which casket it is because they don't show it well enough. But uh, yeah, he's got one of them. He's put him in there, presumably to resurrect them. I mean, he's been searching for the active Lazarus pits because most Lazarus pits were destroyed. A la Batman, I guess. Or, or used up, I think. Or used time. up, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Because Rash is crazy. He's been alive for millions of years. So, Frankenstein and Batman are walking through the ruins, and Frankenstein notices that Batman seems a bit familiar with the place, and Batman says, yeah, I was here uh, a while ago to do the uh, the Thogol ritual, where he spent seven weeks in a dark cave, and Frankenstein's like, well, what'd you learn about death? And Batman says, what does he say? I found it to be a waste of time. Right, awesome. And then Frankenstein's like, well, I could have told you that and saved you seven months or seven weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure now, if I remember right, this is that whole seven week stint that they went and did this training. Isn't that? I can't remember for sure. This is leaning back on Old 52 prior to, to the new stuff. Isn't that during that year gone when they did the book series 52? When Batman was supposed to be gone with the team out training? They were training in some black cave, and then it turns out that they weren't there the entire time. Could be. But I think that's where it was. I can't remember the name of the city or where they were at, but they were basically out in a desert with a dark cave, and the whole thing was, we're going to go train in this cave. And then we weren't supposed to see them for like a year. Right. I don't remember where that was. So I, I guess I'd have to try to go back and research 52 nonsense to figure that out. Bat- Batman and Frankenstein come up on some, I don't know, Yeti-looking guys? Yeah. And uh, they begin fighting them, and Batman's like, hold on, Frank, these are defensive wounds, it looks like. Somebody's already been here, we didn't inflict these. Because yeah. they were fighting in earnest, and uh, yeah, Frank was pretty much getting them down. Frank <laughs> <laughs> gets work done, Rob. However, these uh, these are some pretty tough Bigfoot guys. Yeah. You know, Sasquatch people, like they don't seem to go down very easily, so. Not at all. But uh, Batman tells Frank, hey, put down your weapons, uh. Maybe we can come to a truce with these guys. And uh, Batman is very good at drawing stuff in the snow, evidently. <laughs> awesome. Yes. That's another one of his powers. <laughs> but uh, he draws, like, a pictograph in the snow to 
to show these guys, hey, this is what we're looking for. And uh, they come to a truce by placing a stake in the ground and putting their hands on it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Batman straight up takes off his gloves and gauntlets and he like puts his hands up. And he tells like Frankenstein, drop your weapons. And Frankenstein's like, that's not a good idea, Bruce. <laughs> no, no, put down your weapons. Tr tr trust me, it'll be fine. And so Frankenstein drops the drops his sword, and of course that's when the Yetis give him a chance to draw in the snow. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's crazy to see Batman like hands up, gauntlets off, man. And he drives a perfect Rachel Ghoul in the snow. Perfect Rachel Ghoul, perfect. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Now, I did notice whenever they jam the stick in the ground here for solid area, evidently, it's through a pictograph of a bat. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's supposed to be significant or not. Maybe he's putting a stake in the bat. Turn the sand. Because, yeah, then, you know, they, they kind of do the hands-all-in thing to show that they're, that they're cool. Mm -hmm. it's, called, it's called, we're going to team up, move, Rob. There you go. I don't so, know if it's got a movement number or not. It should. So then the Yeti guys lead him down into, like, a, a cave, a spiral cave. It's freaking crazy, yeah. Tens of thousands of stairs. And very, something uh, you would think ancient city like. Yeah. So they open this door, and uh, Bruce is like, no, I'm too late. Because the signal was the strongest at that point, and that's where we end the book, and Frankenstein's glaring over him. It's very, very cool. I kind of wonder if the no it's too late because one of the caskets is coming back out of the water. Right. That's what I'm guessing. Or out of the Lazarus pit. Mm -hmm. Go Lazarus Team Yeti Frankenvet. So. Yeah. I was just thinking the new Batman and the Outsiders is going to be awesome. <laughs> Lots of crazy Yeti creatures. <laughs> Sweet. I thought that was the cereal he was talking about over there. You'll be the new shift. It's a quick read. It's good. Yeah, it was fun. Tomasi's always good. Yeah, I I liked it. I thought that I thought that they actually played it off really well with the this connecting to the the first time that Frankenstein showed up in the series. Mm -hmm. So, Curry score book go. I'll give it a four. I'm all about the force today. That's, that's good stuff. Good Pat Gleason doing the cover. Can't go wrong. All right, Rob? Um, I'll give it a three and a half. I, when I was first looking at it, I was like, God, I really don't like how this guy draws Frankenstein. And as soon as I started reading it, it was just like, oh, no, this is great. You know, like, there's still, like, one panel, I think, that jumps out of me that I'm like, ugh. But I, I love how it worked. I love that Frankenstein doesn't just forgive Batman. Right off the bat, I'm like, oh, well, it's fine that you totally ripped me in pieces. <laughs> like, I thought it played out really well. And honestly, there was a, a kind of cool moment there at first where I think Batman was going to take Titus with him. Yeah. And then when Frankenstein kind of takes his place, like, he sends Frank, he sends Titus back to the ship, but... Yeah, he sends Titus plane or Titus yeah, boat. Which is interesting, because, like, I don't know. I don't think he would ever have taken Titus with him it in, looked like in the old universe. To. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he's saying. So... Yeah. But, uh, no, I liked it. I thought they did a good job so far. All right. Um, I give it a three and a half. It's really good. It's a fun book. Like, the whole Batman and, or Batman and Robin, it's been great the entire time. I mean, Tomasi's an awesome writer. Gleason's an awesome artist. Uh, the guy doing the interior for this one. Doug Mankey. Doug Mankey. If they were going to do another Agents of Shade book, I'd be okay if he was doing it. Because it looks, he does Frankenstein good. Like, I like it. It looks awesome. But like they're, they, the whole, the whole setup between the two of them, really pretty cool. I mean, because last time, yeah, you're right, he was taken apart, and like the whole time he's laying it out there about 
you left me with the Red Robin boy to slip me back together in my husband's shooting or my in my father's shooting gallery of a castle. I was in a bad place because Batman Batman tells him, "Well, I was in a bad place. You don't understand." He's like, "Yeah, I was in a bad place. Uh, place I was tortured and built. <laughs> that was being turned into like an explosive room because apparently Red Robin likes to blow stuff up." Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. Anyway, uh, so yeah, three and a half. It was it was fun. Uh, Craig. Sure, three and a half sounds good for monster Batman interaction. He throws some Yeti in there. I was mm-hmm. about to say Shetty. <laughs> not, not quite the same thing. <laughs> All over the place. The summer shows up. Man, it's... Well, yeah. Well, you, you can't know. get that stuff out of your I, couch. Right? No, you can't. It's, it's everywhere. It doesn't matter how many lint rollers you oh, use. It, man. Forget it. <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going, but I got entirely lost there. Mike, score. I'm going to give it a four. Yeah? I like, I like Frankenstein a lot. Yeah. And right. Frankenstein and Batman. It's good. Awesome, and Frankenstein felt like the old Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Agent, Agent Shade. Shade, Frankenstein. Yeah, I missed that book. Yeah, it's the best book out there. I think <laughs> it was good. Who am I? A guy. Exactly. That likes monsters with a hat. <laughs> so <Touché. I'm> like. <laughs> and pants. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you wear them outside the house. <laughs> Stupid. You're supposed to. Not today. <laughs> you know. Uh, Alright, let's move on to The Superior Foes of Spider-Man Number 12 Number 12 This is a continuation of what? Uh, number 9, I believe I, the It's believe the whole story it's, but... a, it's a continuation from where number 9 ended off, I guess As far as catch, I mean, other stuff in the middle fits the other two But if you're talking about two episodes that were separated by like three episodes in the middle This would be the one Does that make sense at all? Written by Nick Spencer Written by Nick Spencer Drawn by Steve Lieber. Boom. Okay. It's got an awesome cover. So yeah, it does because Shocker has a luchador mask. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, when we catch up with the gang, pretty much they were sold out by Boomerang so that he could steal this uh, priceless painting of uh, the face of doom. And we find out that Beetle's father is Tombstone. And uh, through her considerable clout with Tombstone, they get the owl to let him go so they can have revenge on Boomerang. Well, Boomerang convinces the owl, and then throughout the course of this issue, that it was really the chameleon that was disguised as him that stole the painting. But originally, weren't they going in after a different item? Yeah, they were going in after Silvermane's head. Yeah. The, the head of Silvio. <laughs> yeah, Silvermane. Silvio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, that's supposed to be a fairy tale. Of course, right. though... We we know that Shocker, who was locked in the back of a uh, a car and then dumped into the river, <laughs> escaped and found it in the junkyard Just by chance. Connected to a race car, <laughs> a little remote, remote control, control race yeah. car, freaking <laughs> awesome. Which was part it was part of the urban legend. That's yeah. Um, but yeah, evidently the the chameleon did actually steal the painting from Boomerang. But yeah, so Boomerang's going with the the story that he was. You know, being played by Boomerang, and so now the rest of the, t- or I'm sorry, by the chameleon. the chameleon. So you know they should they should forgive him, right? And the weapon of choice that actually Throttle and the Beetle show up with is a souped-up school school bus, school bus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. full of ninja children, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. And honestly, like they they start off with the whole like. How could you possibly betray us? And he—he's just flabbergasted that they showed up with a school bus. He's looking at a five-year-old with, with a 
With a katana sword. sword. Yeah, with a ninja sword. <laughs> All the hands gotta get him somewhere. That's so true. He pretty much explains, you know, that, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the chameleon that did this the whole time. Like, we were in cellmate, we were in cellmates together, and I was supposed to get out of prison, and he totally knocked me out and got out of prison, and I woke up on a boat yeah. <laughs> shoveling fish with, like, a, some kind of, like, security tracking device in it, and one of the guys calls him on it, like, that's, that, that's actually the story for the Born right, I Didn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. And then he went out with my girlfriend... And awesome. dude has a superpower, all right. <laughs> the superpower BS. This I think is true. Spencer's a stepbrother's fan. <laughs> it's possible. But basically, from there, the owl shows up, and uh, Overdrive and uh, the Beetle are like, "We got to get out of here. We'll let Boomerang deal with it now." And basically, the uh, the owl is like, "Well, everything's cool now." Like, I know my, my painting was stolen by the chameleon. <laughs> so, so you guys are all right. Lie. Yeah. And they're like, whatever, we're taking off anyways. And yes, Throttle does change a uh, bicycle into a souped-up Segway. <laughs> yep. And they're, like, basically hightailing it out of there. And the owl basically goes like, well, this could, uh, this could be a job for you guys. And, like, they both kind of come back. I think it's funny that he... Reverses on the Segway. Yes. To get back to the... Yeah. Now, meanwhile, in the shockers, questionable choices of doing things, <laughs> which, I, you know what's going to happen in this? Is the shocker's going to come out, and he's going to be crazy again. And mm -hmm. It'll be awesome. But, yeah, evidently he had a movie night planned, just as a regular thing, where he invited uh, Hi Hi Hydro Man. Mm -hmm. And Hydro happened to see that Silvermane was in his closet. At the head of Silvermane. And it's not like the head is just, you know, not working or anything. The head is fully functional. It's but, alive. Yeah. But yeah, of course, Hydro, knowing this, decides, well, why can't I make a couple bucks? So he goes to Hammerhead, <laughs> who took over the family after Silverman was gone. And is basically like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I totally know where his head's at. <laughs> and, like, everybody's like, this is ridiculous. And Hydro's like, you know, I, I figured that there's probably like a finder's fee. You guys can go ahead and, you know, do what you, want. He, you know, you can do what you want. You can even take this meal that I'm eating with you guys off of it. But, you know, just don't overcharge me for it. But I, I should get some money for this. And, uh, you know, Hammerhead's just like flabbergasted. Like, how could you possibly come to me with this stuff? And he starts talking and he keeps like sliding into the old, like, Mooks, gangster, yeah, you know, like 50s James gangster Cagney. talk. Yeah. Cagney, yeah. And like Hydra is kind of... He calls him a he, dirty rat. Yeah, he makes he makes some references to it, and it's actually kind of funny at the end of it, by the time that uh, they finally decide that they're going to go check out what Hydra is saying, he even turns to one of his aides and he's like, I need to talk to my shrink really bad. <laughs> so it's like, evidently Hammerhead's trying to not be... Such a gangster. Like, like such a typical gangster. Yeah. But um, we find out from the owl that he wants them to go in and steal the painting back now. And so they have a planning section, just like they did last time, where we have this whole like death chamber thing set up with these giant dogs, and then the huge Gila monster, and then the five guys in the black suits, and then the room of death knives, and then the room with a shark in it, and then the room with the tanks, and then the elevator that could take us down to the very bottom. 
And then the room with more guys in black suits, and then the like Chinese doll, like the little the dolls, nesting dolls, the nesting dolls with the giant spider in the center, and then this island Earth monster, yeah, the aliens, <laughs> and then the mutant, and then uh, what is it, a uh, mummy linens, and oh, then Stalin. Uh, yeah. the mummy Stalins, and then like a turkey's bathhouse, and then a death room with lasers, and then finally our big boss thing. And just like last time, you know, you just take the elevator down and let everybody else fight all the monsters. <laughs> but so they're planning it, and basically, he, you know, Boomerang's trying to tell him, like, oh, yeah, I won't ditch you guys this time. This time, we'll really make it. And then finally, Speed Demon shows up. And I missed a couple books between here and there, but evidently the dog's gone. Mm-hmm. And so he seems to be, like, more overwhelmed that the dog's gone. And he's missed this whole thing where Boomerang made up this lie about how, you know, chameleon, chameleon did it all. And he pretty much accepts it right off the bat, though. He's like, we teamed up again? Awesome. I really hate it when mom and dad fight. He's looking, <laughs> he's looking at Boomerang the Beetle, and she's like, yeah, whatever. He's like, awesome. <laughs> and then the owl kind of shows up, and he's basically like, all right, well, you're ready to do this? Because I got your extra 11 men to make this work and he's like yes because that's exactly what we needed the Sinister 16 <laughs> can you name all 11 of them oh gosh I, I could can't name maybe like 3 uh, some of them are really new and some of them are really old but we got the spot the armadillo mm-hmm. um, we got the illusion I think we had Mothman who showed up in the Venom stuff mm-hmm. um, I want to say that that's she showed up and uh, she was a part of Venom's group. Yeah, I, I don't recognize that. the clown. And we got Bio Beast and I think Dingo. But I don't recognize a couple of them. Because <laughs> I know there's like the Squid Girl there. and Dingo looks straight out of the 80s. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, he probably hasn't been used very much since straight out of the 80s. But yeah, so uh, we have this whole thing where we... Uh, we see the chameleon like boxing up something to be shipped and uh somebody rings the doorbell and he's like oh yeah go check out the door and the guy walks over looks through the keyhole and he's like is it is it my order from amazon <laughs> and the guy's just speechless and we kind of look back and we see like everybody out there right in front of the keyhole or right in front of the <sighs> no, the, the people. people yes just ready to come in and he just has no words for it and then the door explodes and we got the armadillo like beating guys up, and we got the moth back here attacking somebody and puking on them. And <laughs> Boomerang's just walking through on the cast, just no, it's nonchalantly, whatever, you know. And he comes to the elevator and he pushes the special chameleon shaped button, and the rest of them are like, You're not leaving us behind this time, so they all file in with him. But it's exactly the same situation. He just goes down the elevator while they're fighting all the crazy <laughs> death traps. And we finally get in there. And uh, he winds up running across the illusionist, who was up there with him on top. And he's like, oh, yeah, I found your painting. These guys are trying to sneak it out of the back. And he's like, that was my pl-. And then there's a whole page of excuses. If you go through it, it's just like all the plausible things that he might have been saying to cover up what he said. And then about halfway through it, he stops doing that and is like, what did I have for breakfast? And like, just <laughs> it's just random like other things that are running through his head. Until he's like, back on plan, you know, and has more of them at the end. And he finally is like, 
oh, that's really good work of you, Mirage, and he just knocks him out, and we find out that it's actually um, chameleon. the chameleon trying to do a double geek on him. He's, he's always been a bad actor. Mm. That's, what he says, yeah. that's what he says about him, yeah. But um, we send uh, we we get uh, Overdrive and the Beetle catch up with him in the office, and we see them still the painting. And he's like, as soon as Overdrive leaves, he's like, oh yeah, that was a fake. That wasn't what I was here for, anyways. And he spins around the illusionist guy that he has got in there. Um, presumably, I guess that was the chameleon must have put him in there. Tied him up. Yeah. And we see from there, behind where the painting was, there's a wall safe. And so he starts working on that. And we flash back to Shocker. And he's talking to Silvermane. And Silvermane's basically, like, telling him, you know, you're, you're some kind of idiot, you know? Even though the business. And he keeps, like, calling him the wrong name and everything. And he's like, Shocker's just, like, completely flabbergasted that there's no honor amongst thieves. And, like, how can my friends keep betraying me? And Silvermane basically just lays it out, like... You know, all that stuff is just garbage. It's all about power. Sometimes I just kill a guy randomly <laughs> and be like, I think he was plotting against me just to keep them thinking that he was crazy or something <laughs> so that they would never turn against him. Just, and it was just a, like a calculated thing. During the whole restaurant scene with Hydro, there's at least one point when they realize that Silvermane's still alive, that they all get this weird thought of him in their head prior to him having the metal plate on the back of his head and they all looked terrified all the gangster guys like they were sweating it out because maybe he's still alive it's the only reason they decided to come to the apartment anyways because if he's still alive they're like oh this is bad for us yeah because he was he's a jerk he was pretty much a bad guy he was he was bad <laughs> news as a, as a mob boss and we shoot one you know <laughs> keep him thinking I'm crazy <laughs> you know and he's he's basically just talking all this junk to to Shocker about like how he you know he's never going to be anything anyways and Shocker basically is like well you know what if, if they're not afraid of me anymore wait until they see what I'm going to do next and he like gets his bowling ball bag out and he chucks the bowling ball out the window and like shoves Silvermane into the bag <laughs> smells like butt cheeks in here <laughs> yeah. it's awesome. and as he's like Silvermane's a terrible roommate as he's basically like, I'll give him something to be afraid of. Like, we see the bowling ball hit the street, and there's, like, just this whole group of thugs outside, including Hammerhead, ready to raid the apartment. So. Let's see what's next. <laughs> Pretty much where it ends. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping Shocker comes out and just blows it open, because Shocker could be huge. Mm -hmm. He's actually a super dangerous villain, but, yeah, he always gets the short end of the straw. He always has. Very true. Um, Robbie my score book? Um, I really enjoyed it. I'd give it I'd give it a three. I really liked I really liked where this was going. Um it was a genuine surprise to me to have uh the Beetle be related to Tombstone. So I was really happy with that. I I love Speed Demon. <laughs> and I never thought I'd ever care about that character, like ever. And <laughs> this book has done it, so and there's the Silent Earth reference and that's so it's good. <laughs> Right on. Um, yeah, I, I'd follow suit. I mean, it's it's, it's score-wise, I'll give it three and a half. It, it's good. Like, it's got a fun cover. The book's just fun. I mean, the art style is not usually what I normally like, and it hasn't been from the get-go. But you know what? For whatever reason, it works. Like, the entire book's just funny. <laughs> it's so funny. The whole, it's, it was the chameleon the entire time. Even his girlfriend shows up at one point, point. he's like, oh, it's so good to see you again, because, uh, you know, the chameleon was with you. And she backhands him, and is like, oh, never talk to me again. And, 
then he leaves and he, or she leaves and he's like well, all right probably not the best time to introduce her to my friends <laughs> yeah, right which it freaking it's just so ridiculous well, like he was trying to get her killed by bullseye okay that's true yeah i mean he, yeah he, he made some questionable decisions but like he goes right back to the elaborate death trap everybody's gonna go through the death trap and i'll just take the easy way it's like exactly the same plan, and they're calling him on it. He's like, oh, I wasn't there for the first time around, but yeah, just like the first time. What? <laughs> it's hilarious. The whole book is funny. He, he did actually accidentally mention that he shoved Shocker into the back of a trunk and like tried to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, well, didn't the chameleon tell you that? <laughs> so Yeah, because at one point they're like, you, you, you told us you chickened out. Oh, the chameleon told you that. So yeah, he basically made try to kill a shocker to all of them, which is is just funny. It's good. It's good. And this is going to be his go-to catch line. Oh, chameleon must have done it. I, you know, I can see that being a thing. Oh, sorry, that wasn't me. That was chameleon. Craig, in scorebook. Oh, how many times do I get to score uh, score a book? With the chameleon in it. I'm going to give it a five. All right. I it hits all my buttons. I like it. It's, it's oh, one of these wacky things. It's one of those things where where somebody says, "Oh, I'm not into capes or whatever." This is the book you should hey, give them because because it uh, introduces all the characters. It, it it's not uh, very serious. It is funny. You get a, you get an overview of everybody in the uh, Marvel universe and. And it's not too overwhelming. Yeah, it's it's a fun book. And uh, yeah. Captain Boomerang needs a break, for God's <laughs> sake. He's such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, and but he's a lovable From the jerk. very beginning, he gets out of jail, and he's like, I'm going to make all these guys' lives hell. That's what the whole thing's been about. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. Unless you're, yeah, unless you're Boomerang's girlfriend, then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, other things happen. Mr. Mike? Give it a three and a half. It's been good since first issue. Right. Real lighthearted. Yeah. Real. It's just a lot of fun. And the uh, head of Sil- Silver Mane's. <laughs> that's it's been pretty good. Pretty, pretty entertaining. <laughs> right. Kurtz? It's almost like every issue has been consistent. I don't think there's been a missed issue yet. It's probably one of the best for Marvel right now. I'll give it a four. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. And... The, like you guys know that I don't like reading a lot of words, and that's got a lot of words in it sometimes. Right. And I still like it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing about the excuse panels, like it's it's just it's just ridiculous. Like it's it's funny. Yeah, I, I love that whole thing. Like, coming up with it and gets totally called on it being like it's just a plot to a movie. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, he, and he just keeps going. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, oh really? Weird. And he just <laughs> continues with it. And I love the stupid. Like elaborate death traps. I mean, the first one was hilarious, and then we backed this one up with this island Earth and like Stalin mummies. Yes, Stalin mummies, which is ridiculous. Like I, I almost would love to see them actually go through that death trap, but <laughs> yeah, it's just. I'd like to see him come up with some more. <laughs> I, hopefully, we hopefully we'll have enough time on this book to do that. But yeah, it's been good. It's been fun. Is it a limited series, or uh, at it... this point we think fourteen is the last one? Mm. Like they they, were, they said they weren't going to end it, but uh, they ended the other Superior Spider-Man Spider-Man stories. This regular Superior Spider-Man uh, tied off, and then the Superior 
Superior Parents Spider-Man team-up ended. This one, I think, could keep going, because even if they left the title the same, it, it, it hasn't been anything about Spider-Man. No. Other than them being connected no, to Spider-Man as villains. They so have yet to run it. into Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't care if they ever do run into no, Spider-Man. Yeah, there's no reason for them to. Nick, Nick Spencer actually fell off the book for an issue or two. Yeah? And uh, Steve Lieber, I believe, wrote one. but Didn't miss a beat. He came back. Yeah. So I don't know how far it's going to go. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's it, going to be another one of those uh, Guardians of the Galaxy where they make some issues and they disappear for a while and oh and come make back. some more uh, more issues and then... maybe I, I don't know it's it's like just silly i don't know man it's it, the, the humor to it it's not i don't know for whatever reason that's what does it man like i it's absurd was, it's just it's silly yeah and but it's but yeah, but it's good and boomerang makes it work he does. He's, he's a smooth. He's, he's, a, he's a player. Yeah. And, and you know, it's sad. I always liked Boomerang, but like, if you put these group together, like, they none of them make sense together. No. Right. And it works perfect. So, like, <laughs> like Overdrive is just—they're just all so ridiculous. It's just weird to see that Boomerang's the smartest one out of all. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shocker's like... solely trying to figure out that they're all jerks. <laughs> there was something cool in there where we found out Overdrive where he got his power from. Which I don't know if they disclosed that before or not, but... I don't think so. Yeah, because evidently he got it from Mr. Negative, mm -hmm. which was a kind of a big deal for a little while on Spider-Man. Yeah. So... They did a whole, whole three-part miniseries, too, at one point, where Mr. Negative took over Spider-Man. Yeah. That was pretty good. Actually, you would have loved this one. Uh, it just wound up being a one-shot that Mr. Negative winds up uh, corrupting Shang-Chi. And seeing the dark side of Shang-Chi, holy cow... Hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty like, cool little bunch of stories. He he comes off as like possibly kill everyone kind of if his dark side was to be the forefront. So I'm Just pretty sure I don't I don't recall. He he was big for a little bit, but he's not one of the uh Top like tier. old old uh you know, make villains for, for Spider Man. He basically seemed to be able to pull the dark out of whoever he he came into contact with, and he had like a one-time thing where he could completely corrupt them and flip them to be the darker side of their image. And if it stuck, then you'd, you'd basically be stuck there forever, but if it didn't, like, he only seemed to be able to do it once. But he did that to Spider-Man, he did that to Shang, he did that to a couple other people. Right. And he evidently has this whole little group of people that are with him that uh, wear these kind of like Japanese dragon masks. That are like his immortal sins, I think they're called. And they have like a certain level of immortality. They can go off and be his thugs. For a minute, he was pretty big. Like, I think they were kind of setting him up as like, we want him to be like the next um, kingpin. And like his legitimate front was like, you know, he was this businessman that was giving all this money to uh, charities and stuff. And he even ran like the feast organization that... Uh, um, we just talked about her a minute ago. Aunt May worked for, her. and so like he seemed like he was just a great guy, but he was really like scum of the earth. <laughs> hmm. So he does. I'm pretty sure Captain Boomerang is related to Bill Clinton in this universe somewhere. Cause, he might be because awesome. he gets himself into situations that the only way I can see him getting out of it is just to die. And then he comes up with some crazy excuse that uh, that gets him off. 
Yeah. It's true. It's been good. All right, let's uh, move on to Lobster Johnson. Number Get the four. lobster, number four. I was more sure about that time. <laughs> <laughs> number four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that time I wasn't, I didn't know what's going on. So as we know, Lobster Johnson is a uh, vigilante type character back in the 30s, 40s. Kind of like Batman started. Also not a giant lobster, really. No, but he doesn't have the aversion toward pistols and guns and killing. So if the job needs to be done, it needs to be done. So he's kind of a mix between Batman and the Shadow, but more hardcore. And a lot quieter. And a lot quieter and gets the job done. He doesn't have a lot to say, usually. But he doesn't laugh. He's got the same support system kind of that the Shadow did. Where right. he's got different agents working with him and yeah, organization kind of yeah. built around him a little bit. So Lobster's previous issues, Lobster's been uh, implicated, and he's got law enforcement bearing down on him, and because he's they've had one of his grenades at one of the crime scenes, so they're kind of in his face at the moment, and he's been trapped in a building, and they've surrounded the building. And he's also been uh, that reporter lady. Ah, yes. She's been uh, digging into the lobster and where he may have come from. Um, And so far, her reporting has kind of helped each other. She's played off of each other. It's nice. It's kind of helped him. It's helped her. And she's kind of tapered off trying to maybe expose him. From exposing, right? Yeah, but she, like, yeah, she's she had, doing if she her had homework. information. She wouldn't throw it out there, she's right? Kind of. So she's kind of doing that, maybe to protect him a little bit. And uh, he he asked her to to lay off. So there's there's something going on between those two, right? We just aren't sure right now. So Lobster has been trapped in this building, and law enforcement's surrounded the building. And we open up with uh, a gentleman placing what appears to be dynamite in an old sewer tunnel down presumably under the building the lobster's out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where it's Because he says, I'm going to blow an escape route. Right. So. Up top, it looks like they they were lobbing grenades into the building Mm -hmm. to try to ferret out the lobster. Yeah, the Johnson. Low jack. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole police force is there and the building's been blown open on the side, and the, the police chief Higgins walks in, and it's all over now, killer, and he gets a bullet through the neck, presumably from lobster. That's what they want you to believe. So, But he opened fire with a Tommy gun. Oh, yeah. Just like he nuts. Right. Like he just went nuts. So they, 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 they go through the building, go down the stairs, and I see a giant hole in the bottom because they heard an explosion, and they thought, hey, maybe he's done for. Maybe one of our grenades hit him. And we flash back to uh, them checking out the chief, and we see that the chief has actually been uh, automatized by somebody, just like they did with the Devil Dwarf in the, in the previous issues. So somebody's creating remote, like puppets. Remote control puppets. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we see the lobster down on a boat with a gentleman named Bill, who I'm assuming is kind of like an Alfred, maybe. And he says, let's just get out of here, Bill. And we cut to, um, like, a news report. Yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a news report. TV. And they and, and they go about talking about Higgins and how he's got rods and stuff in his head through the X-rays, and uh, this could explain why Higgins was acting a little uh, erratically lately. And I th I believe this is from the same the same female reporter. And uh, they just can't believe that she's been writing like this. And yeah, there's a lot of talk about uh, with his allies, mm -hmm. like whether she's helping or not. And you you kind of have both sides where they're like, oh, I can't believe she's saying this stuff in the news. And the other people are like, well, she's actually doing a little bit better job. She could have really thrown him under the bus. Right. But um, I think what from there they they start. Um, I think somebody recognizes the work. In making the automaton, right? That's not what it was. Somebody recognizes that, and and a person associated with this, who we find out is um, Benjamin Casaro, mm. and he owns a warehouse that makes like master models of of cities and stuff. But he's been presumably dead for a year, and they find out, hey, he still owns this building. And uh, we cut to that building, and we see uh, Casaro talking with. A gentleman who we believe to be Waxman. Well, that's who we find out it is, but they think it's Boyer Emerson. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's talking with Casaro, and, and evidently they've struck a deal of some type that we're not certain about right now. And uh, Casaro says, "Well, you've come through with yours, so I'm going to fulfill it." And they enter this room, and it's a big Manhattan model. Yeah, and the company was supposed to be some uh, a group that made models for the World's Fair. In Detroit. Yeah, so somebody's made, like, a whole model of the city. And we find out that it was his dad who did it, Waxman's dad. And he was giving that as a gift. And as we look through the city, we see that Lobster Johnson's there, and he addresses Emerson as Dr. Waxman. So this is where we find out that Waxman's been busted. And he's the one that's creating these automatons and these puppets, and and lobsters just found out. So he opens fire on them, and he had no choice; he had to kill. He's he. We do find out that he did shoot Wiggins or yeah. Higgins, and he had no choice; he had to die, and so do you. And uh, he opens up fire on Waxman, so they're huddled, and and Lobster gives off his dissertation about how he found out, and that Waxman was telling him the truth about uh, his uh, neural manipulation and how to control uh, life form like monkeys and, and humans and that's like the history of how, yeah. he, how he got got there so uh, and lobsters like well I thought the police had you but now I know the truth and he goes to fire on waxman point blank at his head and this iron hand comes out and grabs his hand and gun and throws him over the diorama and this is a gentleman we met prior in this in the series, in like I believe issue two. Marty. Yeah, Marty, um, and he was seen with Casaro. So ultimately, I believe Casaro and Waxman are in this together. There was a part I liked right before he showed up too, where uh, he's got the gun trained on the the doctor, and the doctor's basically like, you know, you can't do this. You're the one that the police want. The police aren't looking for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lobster Johnson's pretty much like, well, you, know, you might make other people blind, but you can't make justice blind. Right. And yeah, he's got some good lines. <laughs> so he's taking on this Marty guy with the the iron arm, the hydraulic arm. And uh, then we cut to 
can't remember his name. Wald. Mr. Wald. Mr. Wald, who's reading this pirate book. And this is the same book that they've been looking through the last couple issues, I believe. Uh, the Tynan, the reporter. Who's a reporter lady. Yeah. And she's been trying to do some... some Research. Research. Uh, investigation. Investigation Boom. about trying to link, because in the book there's a, a gentleman named the Lobster, and she's trying to get some research and some history, seeing if it's connected to this lobster. Yeah. Trying to build like an ancestry so they can try mm -hmm. to figure out who who, who the lobster is. really is. And even in the story, the lobster evidently dies mm -hmm. and then comes back for justice. So there's With a sign he always leaves, that burnt yeah, claw. Yeah. So they go through that, and they, they get Tynan, Tynan's notes, and she's been doing, and maybe their ancestors, and then we cut back to Lobster, who's getting his skull crushed by this hydraulic arm, and uh, Marty's crack goes the crab, and cracking open the crab, and Casaro's like, well, just grab his gun and shoot him. He says, well, this arm wasn't made for picking flowers. <laughs> this is what it was made for. Yeah. <clears throat> So he continues to beat on, on Lobster. Lobster gets the upper hand and knocks him off his balance. And then we see Dr. Waxman running out, leaving uh, the other... What's his name? Cassaro. Cassaro alone. And Lobster goes to pick up his gun and gets waylaid by Marty. Right. Marty starts pounding him in the face, and Lobster grabs his arm like an arm bar. And Marty's like, no, let go, let go. And we see Lobster just pull his iron hydraulic arm off his body. What's really so cool crazy. about that, though, it's, it's, it's take, this fight is taking place in that modeled city. Yeah. And, yeah. and the scale, size of the buildings, and those two fighting. It's kind of like the old monster movies, mm -hmm. like the old oh, Godzilla yeah. movies. It's very, just yeah, very Godzilla. Cool. That's, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's a good one. Yeah. So then uh, Lobster pick up, picks up his gun to finish off Marty. And then we see a giant gorilla yeah. with iron arms running at Lobster. And Lobster fires some shots at this gorilla. And then we see that it is actually Dr. Waxman who wasn't running away. He was going to get his remote control for this giant gorilla. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the gorilla's putting the squeeze on Lobster. And Lobster's got one last thing up his sleeve. And he reaches into his jacket and pulls out a, a stiletto dagger and daggers the big gorilla in the head and evidently that puts an end to him well yeah. that'll happen that must be where all the rods are i would assume so so then we see the big gorilla dead in manhattan park <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is mm, a pretty cool exactly. visual yeah and we see lobster walking away in the background lobster's well, beauty all, killed the beast lobster's all bloodied up and uh, he finds Waxman back where, um, presumably, where the gorilla was in the cage. Yeah, I think it's back at the, the whatever the lab is or wherever they were at. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Waxman gets off a shot at Lobster, and it just hits the door frame. But Lobster's hurt, and you can tell. And uh, he says, you're weaponless. I'm armed. I could kill you. I could do that. And uh, Lobster says, but if you go, if you go right now, I will let you live. You understand? And as he's saying this, he's reaching for one of his grenades. And he blows up Waxman. It appears that he blows up Waxman. That's what it looks like. Cause, yeah, next thing you see is fire everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, all lobster, we see lobster in the final panel just beat to bloody 
hacking. It's like in a doorway. Yeah, and he's just justice. But we also see uh, to be the continued. other two escape. Yeah, they, those two got out while Waxman stayed behind. Right. So this is issue four. It seems kind of final. A little bit. The, most of the closes for the lobster wind up ending on a note like that. Mm. Everybody's dead. It's better. Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I imagine there must be more to tie up in the next book. But yeah, it's, it's pretty epic when it gets to it. It's pretty good. Yeah, this one's been a little different than the, the previous ones. This one moves a little, it's a little slower. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about that earlier because the last ones have been two issues, one issue. Right. So this may have been a two issue that hey, lobster's popular. Let's stretch it out into maybe a four issue set, five issue right. set. Let's see what happens. Yeah. That's, Usually it moves pretty fast. I mean, it's yeah. still it's still a good story. Oh yeah. And I mean the payoff at the end with the giant monkey <laughs> is pretty good and how. They're fighting in the diorama, and it's very uh, uh, movie-esque. It feels like it could be shot, but it's a it's a it's a it's a good strong story right now. Like Mike said, it is a little slower, but I think that has to do with all the uh, expansion of maybe a two-issue series. That makes sense. Um, as far as like scores, uh, I go. I I'll give it a three. I give it three. It's fun and it's a. I don't know, it's, it's that old 50s-style, like, badassery, and I, I like that about it. And the whole fight in the city is pretty epic. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he's, he's standing next to... It, it, it's standing next to these these huge buildings that are just very tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like a Godzilla movie. Like, yep. it, it really is kind of like that. When, like, what's happening with the rest of it is just crazy, too, so... Good perspective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Craig? Oh, uh... I'd give it a good solid four for pulp fictiony type goodness. Old timey, old timey badassery. Mm-hmm. Have you seen his logo? Look like a lobster claw. It I know you have. It looks awesome. <laughs> there is a claw. Right, Mr. Mike. Three and a half. It's the lobster. So. Right. Always good. Cool, Curtis. For what we talked about, I'll give it. a... I'll be with Mike, probably three and a half. It's not the strongest of the series by far, but hopefully the payoff is coming and it's going to be worth it. And yeah. it did have a gorilla with hydraulic arms. Gorilla. So, yeah. Man, it was pretty epic, actually, The with the robot arms. And an arm getting <laughs> ripped off. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was crazy. Oh, wait, there's robots involved. <laughs> Make mine higher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Rob? Uh, I give him a three. I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's going to be a really neat one to see the conclusion of. But yeah, I I really liked the the fight in the in the fake city. I thought that was really neat. I liked how the monkey was laid out in Manhattan. <laughs> it's pretty pretty right? awesome. King Kongish. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it really is very King Kongish. Like the f- cover is very I'm King Kongish sure too. Actually. I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for, dude. Yeah, you're probably right about that. So Rob, uh, move on to. Swamp Thing number 20, no, number 32. It looks more like an Aquaman cover, Rob. Why is that? Well, Aquaman and uh, Swamp Thing have been kind of crossing over here the last few issues. Is that why Ross isn't here? He's upset because Swamp Thing is now Aquaman? You know, that would be an awesome truth. And Aquaman is now Swamp Thing? (laughs) I can't stand that Swamp Thing is taking over... Aquaman. He is not the monarch of the seven seas. He is not the ruler of Atlantis. 
I'm going to say totally unrelated. To hell with <laughs> Swamp Thing. <laughs> It'd be funny if they merged the two. <laughs> uh, Aqua Thing. Aqua Thing? <laughs> Swamp Man? No. Swamp Man. They do have a similar human form look, except that Alec Hollis' human form is gone now. So, well, there's that. And Ross threw it on the ground and just walked away <laughs> from Aquaman. Oh. Aquaman no more. It's sad. It's because he's all swampy now. <laughs> he's still breathing underwater, though. Mm. All right, Rob, go on. Well, kind of open it with uh, Swamp Thing under the ocean. And they actually did a fantastic job of this. They, they decided to have his body change to almost like a like a kelp. Yeah. Seaweed type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a really, really nice, like, current that's kind of pulling the seaweed, which actually resides most of the issue, which I thought was fantastic. So really good thinking for the artist. But um, he's kind of talking about how this is different from being on the surface and that he should have came down here so long ago, you know, because the, the water plants are so much different. As we kind of get to the next page, we reveal that there's this, this giant kind of kelpish, like, monster. It looks like a squid monster, like a skull monster. Mm-hmm. That's uh, evidently killing everything that's not a plant on its way through the ocean. Anything it runs into, yeah. It's not plant life, it's, it's eating it, killing it. And basically, like, Swamp Thing figures, oh, okay, well, this will be, like, a five-minute job. And he, like, created kind of several different copies of himself. And tries to uh, tries to swim in to attack it, to get close to it, and, and uh, like break it down with his his green power, mm-hmm. and it just grabs a hold of him and starts ripping him in two, and it just winds up destroying most of the copies, and he finds out that he can't communicate with it. Whatever it is, it's it's not connected to the green like in the way he is. Huh. Yeah, and uh, he manages to to move himself back far enough that he's out of its tentacles. And he gets hit in the chest with uh, Aquaman's trident. And Aquaman's trident uh, pins him down to the coral. And Aquaman's basically like, I'm done with you. I'm tired of having you come down here and cause these problems. And so he's pretty much just under the opinion that uh, you know the Swamp Thing has caused this to happen. And That's evidently, outrageous. Evidently he and, the, he and Swamp Thing had met before, and like, uh, you know, it wasn't a very pleasant meeting the first time. But um, we kind of flash back a couple weeks, and we have uh, Swamp Thing meeting with some of the people that once were the Parliament of Trees. Or the Avatars. Yeah, I, I don't know if they were the Avatars. I think they I think they actually are the Parliament. Pretty, pretty sure they talk about them being the Avatars. Yeah, because he destroyed they the Parliament. They mentioned the Parliament a lot, about That's... him destroying them. But that proves they've all, at one point in time, been avatars. Right. It's possible. They, it's, I think something that's at least carried forward from uh, the past history is that Alec Holland and all of them. talks about being around for 700 years or things mm-hmm. have changed after 700 years. Right. Yeah. They I have avatars that eventually ascend to the parliament and then, you mm-hmm. know, they go sedentary for after that. And then they get new avatars to replace them as mm-hmm. they go. Uh-uh. Well, either way, he he needs their knowledge, and they recognize this creature that he's going to go deal with as a it's German. Yeah, some kind of German creature. I can't pronounce it. So Klitzenberger or something. Like that. So 
something like that. We'll go with that. But um, yeah, the <laughs> the black guy that's been evidently in the parliament or as an avatar or whatever for all these years, he seems to be pretty okay with the swamp thing. But the other two seem to be more knowledgeable. But they don't—they're completely upset with uh, with Swamp Thing. They didn't want to be pulled out. And they blame him for the destruction of the Parliament, and you know and that he was so arrogant that he could do it on his own. And so he's kind of not getting as much information from them as he needs, because he's trying to find a way to defeat it, and they're just like dancing around the issue. But we get back to Aquaman, and he's basically summoned a bunch of manatee over, and he's just like, "Yeah, I'm just done with you." I'm tired of dealing with your stuff. And so he has them eat Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Which is freaking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he says, yeah, they're harmless unless you're a plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. He just blows them over. And, uh, yeah, and then he pulls his uh, his trident, and uh, he decides he's going to, like, take care of this sea monster or this kelp monster himself. And we kind of hear from um, Swamp Thing's point of view that he could reform himself, but if he does so, he'll probably kill the man and so he's like yeah i don't want to do that but then he sees that aquaman is uh calling forth a whole grip of of other uh, plant-eating fish everybody loves a manatee and uh as soon as they start kind of biting the creature you can start seeing them start rotting almost immediately and then they they wind up actually kind of exploding mm-hmm. from whatever is inside of them and aquaman's kind of like trying to call them back but it's too late, and the even the manatees wind up getting stabbed by this creature. And that was the final straw for Aquaman. Yeah, he decides he's going to take care of it himself anyways. Um, Swamp Thing then kind of comes back as like almost like a tendril, like just a little piece of the grass. And it's basically telling him, like, you know, give me a chance to, to deal with this my way, and then you can, you know, then you can have your try. And so he goes and, like, uh, pulls the the creature itself into the green mm-hmm. so that you can meet with it face to face and it's it's actually pretty cool how, how it manifests itself it actually manifests itself as a lot as a as a manatee drinking a martini <laughs> which is crazy and then also like a green version of aquaman and they're basically like kind of being they're, they're kind of being like well yeah you should figure this out easier than this like, you should understand what's going on more than you do. They're both a little snarky. Yeah. Because like ultimately, they kind of lead him through what needs to happen, which is that he needs to reassert himself as, like, one of the champions of the green to this creature. Because it doesn't recognize him as its champion, and it doesn't have the parliament to tell it anymore. Meanwhile, Aquaman on the outside is basically like, well, I gave Swamp Thing, like, five minutes, and he hasn't done jack. So it's time for Aquaman to get some action done. Heck yeah. And he starts attacking it, and ultimately it winds up having too many tendrils for him to deal with, and so he basically calls in an Atlantean underwater strike mm-hmm. to wipe it out. So meanwhile, we go back to Swamp Thing, dealing with uh, its own form of the uh, of the Avatar. And so Swamp Thing kind of fights off what it thinks the Avatar should be. And he basically like has to beat it in the fight to kind of show it that it's it's the one that's in charge and this is why you should listen to me. I kind of got the impression from it that it was basically like a child. 
like a really powerful child, but a child that like needs to know its place. Mm-hmm. And so he had to kind of like beat it down first so it knew that. Right. Meanwhile, once again, we go back to Aquaman, and they're setting up their their missile strike that's going to basically like render this portion of the sea sterile of plant life. Yeah, it's like napalm missiles to burn everything that's in the in the area. Because they're, he wants the, he wants the creature destroyed, and yeah, he realizes it's gonna kill some animals. But uh, at this point, it's safer, better off to kill them than to let the entire ocean be destroyed. And right before Aquaman orders the attack to strike, the uh, creature's face changes and it becomes basically Swamp Thing. Right. And the, uh, he tells it to, that we're good, and Aquaman tells him you know to hold. And so Aquaman and him kind of start talking again as Alex has now, like, fixed the problem. And Aquaman's basically telling him, you know, oh, good, you fixed this? Well, now you can get the, out of my ocean because this is my kingdom and this is where my people are. And Swamp Thing's basically like, well... Plant life's been here longer than you have. Yeah, it was my kingdom first, so just keep that in mind. I'll share it for now. And, you know, uh, Aquaman's basically like... How, do, how can I trust that you're not going to come back with this stuff? And Swamp Thing tells him, well, you know, you attack me, stab me to the ground, had me eaten by manatees, and I haven't even attacked you yet. So I think you know what I'm about. Right. That was pretty epic, actually. That <laughs> dialogue there was great. I, I like their interaction. Yeah. Um, and then the final kick at the end of this is him going back and basically being like, you need to tell me what's up with... What, what you guys know about these creatures. He's back with the other avatars. Yeah, uh, back with the avatars in human form. And uh, basically he's telling them, you need to come clean with me, like what these what these other challenges are and what knowledge you have. And uh, the lady one that's with them is basically like, well, I know this is really not going to do anything, but uh, hopefully it'll get a point across to how much we want to work with you. And she, like, stabs him in the head. That's kind of where we end the book. It's pretty brutal. It's pretty hardcore. She's like, I realize this isn't going to do anything, but uh, it's all about the sentiment. (laughs) And uh, you think you've had us, you've never had us. And then stab in the head. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Freaking crazy. I really like that. I really like that they're taking Aquaman and making him really legitimate and that it carries across to all these other books. But I also like that this is basically a team-up, and almost any other team-up, it would have been, we fight for a minute, and we team up together, and we fight the monster itself. And in this, they never really get on the same page. They basically come out of it both being like, you know, you threaten me, I'll threaten you. We can kind of coexist. But like, I'm, let me try it my way, and then you can try it yours. Yeah. We're not going to work together. No, and I, I really like I like how that works. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like this, this feels like the beginning of the Swamp Thing series. Mm-hmm. I really like that, because like, I, I couldn't care less about Swamp Thing before the New 52. And like now, yeah, his, his story is really compelling, and, and a lot of it is like this attitude. Mm-hmm. So It's cool. Craig, you score a book? We'll give it a three for Manatee Death. It's like one part Vertigo uh, Vertigo book and one part uh, mainline DC. It's kind of a weird amalgam. But uh, 
uh, I like the parts with the uh, with the swamp thing being all vertigo esque and dealing with the uh, weird manatee uh, martini drinking things. That was yeah, it's still funny. <laughs> it's crazy though. Right on, Mr. Mike. You got a three and a half. It's a pretty cool story. You don't get to see them two uh, interact uh, very often. So. No, not really. Yeah, even with him joining the Dusty Dark, they don't really get. He doesn't really get mixed in with anything else. Mm-hmm. Skirts? Probably three and a half. It was good. Um, yeah, I like Aquaman. Right. And this actually did make me care about Swamp Thing, the new 52. So It's a little different than when it started. Right. It was more dark when it started. Yeah, there's still pieces there, but like I think the darkness is all coming separate. Because in this particular issue, he's mixing with Aquaman. So there's like a fair amount of... I think the whole green, red... That all got overcomplicated, oh, and now okay. it's getting back to the basics. That's cool. And it's Charles Soule, so right, yeah, he's good. good writer anyway. Rob, yeah, I, I've been really happy with it, so I was I was glad to have that feeling again. I I think I'd give this a, I think I'd give it a five. Actually, I was really really happy with this book. Like, hmm. I was I was super excited reading it, and I loved how it came out in the end. So, huh. and yeah. that's what the, did you read Aquaman prior to this? I, I didn't get to so, read that one yet. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, just the basis alone of this one, I was I was pretty blown away with it. I was really yeah, happy no, with it. I, I think that's cool that they could do that without having them to be that closely connected. Yeah, you'd have right. to read that one to get the whole story. Yeah, and, it's kind of like what they were doing with the... Initially, before they did the crossword between Animal Man and Swamp Thing, it's like you're reading the same story, but not oh, really yeah. the same story. It was like one so, different sides of the same coin. Yeah, th- that's basically how this book came out, too. Like Aquaman's side and then Swamp Thing's side, but you don't have to read both to get what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of impressive. I think that's the way DC should make more of their books, but... Right, well... <laughs> don't we all... You can't have Charles Soule write all of them, I guess. Well, apparently, <laughs> you know, when he's going to be lawyering, you know? <laughs> he's, got, he's got a job to do. Um, I yeah, I give it a three. Also, like, it was good. Like I, I, it was a fun book. Like the whole, all the weirdness with the stuff he doesn't know about the green and like these people are sort of his confidential, comp, 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 compatriots. Confidence. Compatriots. That's what I was looking for. Compatriots, because they're supposed to be his friends. They're supposed to be. It has nothing to do with favoritism. Compatriots. That's what I was looking for. Good job. But they're supposed to be his friends, they're supposed to be his, like, his fallback, and, yeah, no, n- not at all. So much so that, like, if he was still a regular dude, he wouldn't be dead dude now <laughs> with a knife in the head. It's awesome. Kind of like a gorilla. And they're all kind of jerks, man. Like, they're all they're all really not very nice to him, and they're all pretty, yeah, they're all pretty just jerks. Anyway, uh, it was a good book. It's, it's, Swamp Thing has been consistently good. There's only two that I have any questions in, like, Number 20 and 21, I was kind of like, eh. But just because the, the story arc changed, they weren't actually bad. They just they changed arcs. Anyway, uh, so we got one more question from our listeners. I'm disappointed Ross didn't burst through the door. You're talking about Aquaman! Right? Yes, it's true. You expect to hear a little bit of, like a sound of a conk? Is that what Something. those are? Conch shell? Conk. Yeah. And then all Call of a the Ross. He shows up with his trident. Ross signal. It's more like a spork, but sharp. Yes. This is good. Anyway, uh, so Kurt's question. So this is uh, once again from the Tan Lantern, who's becoming a regular, so we're liking that. That's cool. <laughs> um, we did cover your last question. It was a little late, but... Yeah. Uh, you probably heard that by now, so we'll cover this one. So it starts out, hey guys, 
I'm not sure if you got my last question or not. Maybe I sent it in too late, but I don't remember exactly what it was now, so I'll ask another one. If each of you could have any series story, pretty much whatever, collected, what would it be and how would you like to see it collected? Example, all of Gold Key, Turok Comics collected in absolute volumes, something like that, or even something creator-specific like all the Grant Morrison JLA that he has written collected in a library edition. I'm not sure how much he has written, didn't have time to look. Now, it may already exist in a collection, or, and if so, how would you like it collected differently? Hopefully that is a question you would like discussing. If you did get any other questions, feel free to answer it also. I don't want to dominate all the Q&A segments, though, so <laughs> I will understand if you choose only one. Thanks. Got to go. Extremely busy. Peace. The Tan Lantern. Well, um, the Tan Lantern is awesome that you're sending in so many questions. Actually, we really like it because... It gives us a lot of things to answer for, and it's really cool to hear some feedback from our, our listeners. So keep on sending them. There you go. Who wants to start? Uh, Rob? Did you check sure. out? Yeah. No, well, you can go for a second, yeah. Uh, you know what? When it comes to collections, honestly, the, the only ones that I really, really like to use them for is books that I have no way of gathering without it so like the essentials have been great for me just because i'm not going to be able to get a hold of the 60s and 70s books um so for me it's it's the small titles that have never been bound together and put out in in actual formats that i would love to see so like getting the first run for moon knight into a masterwork would be great you know so we actually get some color to it and everything but it, other than that I don't know, you know, I, I'm really opposed to gathering just writers or just artists together because I really feel like the characters are a more important part of the story than who made it, but that's just me. All right. Uh, Mr. Mike? That's an easy one. Okay. <laughs> I would take the, uh, the old uh, Master of Kung Fu. Oh, right. Have it uh, collected in like a absolute or a masterworks, however, in a few volumes. Right. Uh, easy. That's an easy choice. This never been collected. That's true. That's, um, and that'd be like you. It'd be the only way I could ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. With the internet, of course, yeah, you can chase all these books, but it's ridiculous. There's, there's no way to get that much money together to make it work. So. Not, not for me, anyways. Right. Uh, Craig? Oh, well, uh, I don't have a problem with uh, collected volumes. I, I have a lot of collected volumes, and I like them. So um, I'd go with uh, the ones like Nick Roche, who did uh, the collected um, Last Stand of the Wreckers. They always put in tons of uh, extras. So I'd I'd look for uh, ones like that that has extras like uh, samples of the scripts that they might have done or right. or uh, art breakdowns you know um, you know uh, drawing inking uh, breakdowns uh, stuff in there they might put in like uh, like uh, text extras or or uh, you know. Talking them talking about uh, the cookies that they put in the, <laughs> right, in the, the hidden uh, things, right in the uh, issues themselves. So I enjoy those. 
uh, the Red Star has been an awesome one right. for uh, putting cookies in like that too. They put in tons of uh, art breakdowns and oh, this is this is what we were doing at the time when we came up with this. Oh, this page doesn't actually exist all in in one spot because we did uh, did uh, CGI breakdowns and right, yeah, the characters are art and stuff like that. Um, I'd really like to get uh, some of the absolute uh, Sandman ones because well. it's. It's all the stuff that I talked about that I like. So right. I I enjoyed the uh, the uh, the series, so that'd be a good a good reason to have uh, a volume like that. And basically, I look for for stories or art that I liked. Sure. Kind of evolution of an artist, even is cool. Maybe like a compendium style. They did like forty nine. Right. Forty nine and one giant Sandman book. Something like that. The phone yeah. book style. Yeah. Right. With extras. It's just something nice to throw in. Right. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So, there's my answer to the question. All right. Uh, Curtis? I don't... Big collected... I don't like, like, omnibuses. I don't like big books. Right. I like trades, mostly. But, uh... I'd like to see maybe, uh... Captain Victory from the Pacific Comics... When it first started, oh man, have that collected and okay. with uh, Jack Kirby and maybe some extras if they can find any. But Pacific Comics, I mean, that was out when it started, so yeah, it's you're talking way back there. Yeah, I'd like to see that in some of the ABC comics from like the late 30s, early 40s, collected with oh, uh, with the Terror, the Black Terror in them. And yeah, okay, stuff like that. I don't, I don't think it's been collected, but. I, I know I know that there's like have some uh, witch tales and stuff like that. Well, they've got the newer batch, like whenever Dynamite took took it, started doing the Black Terror, but it's not the same. Right, but it's, have have the yeah. old stuff from ABC, yeah, doing yeah. National Comics stuff like that. I think that's good reading. I think it's fun. Maybe the Flame, have that whole story, Wonder World Comics, all that. Huh. Yeah. I see that same kind of era. Yeah, yeah it's always, uh, that was so always nice. All all prior superhero stuff for superheroes got popular. Right. That's what I like to see. They have some extras, maybe. EC stuff. So, oh, yeah, I got some of that, too. And I just like that collected in six-issue trades. I don't I don't like omnibuses. Sure. More light reading, I guess you could say. Right. Well, it's easy to carry someplace, right? I don't it, know. doesn't feel like such a chore, I guess. Yeah, well, you don't want to sit down and read 50 issues because you don't want to put it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, put that away. That's a bit much. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the shorter trades are where I'd like to see stuff, but Captain Victory, definitely. Cool. Um, I'm not really much, you know, I'm really more of a singles guy. I'm not really like a, that wasn't meant the way it came out of my mouth. I like individual issues. I don't really like so much the idea of, of collecting everything. I mean, anymore, it seems like everything gets collected, and I it kind of ticks me off a little bit. Because there's no, like, chase to any of it, you know? There's no, oh, I missed issue number whatever, and, like, having to hunt it down for that reason. Granted, I mean, with the internet, whatever, makes that a lot easier. But I don't like the idea that they're soliciting the trade when the last issue comes out. You know, so it, that stuff I don't really like. As far as the stuff that hasn't been collected that I can think of that I'd like to see collected, um... Man, I had one just a second ago, and now it's gone. There's one I know that you would like. Okay, what's that? 
Rom. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Man, how did I not think of Rom? Man, you give me ROM in any, any format, man. <laughs> Trades, compendium, give me two phone books full of ROM. <laughs> my God, drop it on my head, kill me. That reminds <laughs> me, I'd go for a Nausicaa compendium type oh, thing, yeah, man. That cool. would be so kick-ass. Right? Man. Atari God. Force. <laughs> okay. That that, oh, my God. Like a little, no. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I'm ashamed that I know that reference. <laughs> man. <laughs> Rom, yeah, that, that is a good one, dude. Good one. I, I, you know, I'd like to see some more from the from Red Star too. And they Dino or not Dynamite Boom? No, what was it to put that out? IDW. Uh, I don't know who they are. It was, with I, now. It was IDW. They, IDW put out that um, giant uh, Treasury edition. Right, right. And they've got a couple collectors coming out. It's the same material reprinted, but at least we're getting it to see it again. So. Right. Uh, hopefully that leads to something else with it. Man, I hope it jumpstarts them so they yeah, continue on with the cool. story. They left it on a terrible cliffhanger. <laughs> Twice. Right. They started two stinking storylines and they <laughs> left it on a cliffhanger on both of them. Right. I yeah. have heard that the, uh, what do they call them, the library editions of uh, uh, Fear Agent are pretty cool. Oh I've my never gosh, seen yeah. Them. I haven't seen them, but I hear they're really nice. Black covers. Really cool. Yeah, Dark Horse actually does great at their trade stuff. The only downside is that Dark Horse also likes to play with the size of its books that come out, yeah. which is bad news. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Occasionally you'll get the uh, digest size. Oh. Not yeah. Or like the between digest and comic book size. I thought they killed that after the 90s because no. it was stupid. No. No, they still like to randomly put them out like that. But yeah, when you get mm. guys like. We had somebody who was getting like the the collector's editions of the Hellboy stuff, and they were coming out and they were like binded books with leather covers oh, yeah. and stuff. And it's like, man, these are awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, the, the, AJ was getting the hard covers. Was, yeah, they were beautiful books, man. Like, it was, oh. God, amazing. As like uh, when they did uh, the collected uh, Dark Knight Returns, uh, like a Frank Miller co- uh, collection right. type thing. That was nice. And some uh, greatest Joker stories ever told, those kind of ones. Oh, right. They were uh, kind of mismatch kind of leather. And they were, yeah, they were a leather bound or a faux leather. And they had a, and a little uh, ribbon huh. bookmark in with them, too, and fancy binding. Man. Really primo. Leave the Frank Miller to get all gothic and Bible like. <laughs> I've seen a collection of uh, image. What was that? Uh, Luna Brothers, uh, Girls, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing is, it's a murder weapon. <laughs> well, that's what, yeah, what I'm like saying. It has, like, the gold leaf pages. I mean, the, right. uh, oh, the, the, edge of the, the edge of the pages are all in gold. That cover, you, I don't think you could shoot through that damn thing. <laughs> it was, uh, when was it, back in the 50s, I think? Uh-huh. Frank Frazetta did a couple Buck Rogers books. Hmm. Oh. I don't know if those have been collected, but I'd like to see that with some more Frazetta work. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I don't know. That now. It's, that's a weird niche because most of his stuff isn't isn't space stuff. Yeah, I know, it, was, it looks awesome. Well, he, huh. got, he started in a weird spot. He was started drawing uh, Little Abner mm-hmm. is what <laughs> yeah. how he got his start. And, uh, weird. He tried uh, to be a comic book artist for a while, but uh, 
they he just couldn't find his uh, niche. Yeah, I think it was before his time. Yeah, on that end because it was really detailed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really and can see that. Yeah. The samples of the comic book he wanted to do is not what you expect. Uh, what you'd expect from Frazetta. As uh, as we came to know him, right. it was just a, a simple, innocent thing about a boy and his horse, like my friend Flicka or something like that. But <laughs> one day, horses. he would become a mighty barbarian. <laughs> I'm not say that. Good stuff. Yeah, yep. good stuff. Good stuff. <sighs> Come back, um, Frazetta. Come right. back. Well, that's a, hopefully that's a fairly close answer to what you, what you were asking. I mean, as far as sizes are concerned, you do omnibuses, you can get a lot of books. I mean, it's those omnibuses are fifty issues. Um, the essentials are worth the money, though. Essentially, they are. If you can't find all the issues, oh, you're yeah. just going to be in black and white. Like, mostly, the only, the only ones really do that. So Marvel has what they call the essentials, and they're black and white, and you're talking like I don't know. Only about, for about four, twenty bucks. Yeah. Yeah, like fourteen. Yeah, fourteen, sixteen, something like that. Um, DC has what they call a showcase. Right. That's showcase right. is mm-hmm. the same. It's the same idea because black and white also, and and they're they're big books too, but they're all done in newsprint and uh, they come out with a regular like, kind of trade format. So they've got this the harder cover, but the it's still not like a hard, actual like bookend cover. But yeah, there's both companies do them, and it, it just in general they're 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 not put they're put together pretty good. I'll get. There's a lot of people who don't like the idea of not having color, and that's that's understandable. That's why Marvel's doing those uh, master editions. Those are nice. Yeah, they are. They 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 really are because it's a high quality paper, uh, with the four color printing. And man, the stuff just pops. But it's also you know a different style of color, just all together. But yeah, as far as like setups concerned, both those are good fashions for books to come out. Um, I don't know trades themselves if, if more trades were done in the seven issue format i'd probably be happier but it all depends on the arc and if the book's got a five-part arc why would you want two all, more issues they're all mm-hmm. built that way now. yeah anymore most of them i mean there's there's still a few that aren't but generally speaking everything goes in arcs anymore so i don't know you can pretty well collect anything any way you want to i, I just wish it would make a they didn't make you wait a pretty long time for batman to come out as a soft cover from the new 52 so that i was pretty happy about DC is, it's definitely got to slow down on its trades. So, but. Anyway, um, so uh, books to watch. Uh, Rob? Um, here pretty soon we're going to see the Nova Prime coming back with Thanos. So look forward to that. Right. Uh, Original Sin's been really good, so. Most recent issue's freaking crazy. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. Uh, Craig? Oh, um, I'd say take a look at Afterlife with Archie. That's a good one. And zombie related. I yeah, that zombie was related. Second, Think, two things second. I like: zombies and related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the characters wow. were related. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> I should have gone with one thing, but <laughs> once there was two, I didn't know how to. You, it's, it's too late. Whatever. <laughs> a little dark-handed uh, look at the uh, world of Archie with uh, right. zombies. Mr. Mike? Uh, Remender's got low, low coming out. Snyder witches. Great. Um, 
continue with Black Science. That is amazing. Um, Legendary Star Lord might be kind of interesting. It's a good. I think it'll be a good one. That and Rocket, I think, will both be good. And then the Spider-Man thing, the the multi multiversity. Multiversity. Mister hmm? Curtis. I'll echo his Star Lord. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that. And uh, Five Ghosts just wrapped up its last arc. It's gonna be. It's a good book. Right. And I think the next arc's just gonna blow it out of the water too. So. Nice. Keep an eye out for those. All Check right. out Starlight. Starlight is a good one from Image. Uh, it's oh, kind of a Buck Rogers story. Black Market coming out from, I believe, Boom. Oh. I think it's going to be pretty good. Huh, all right. Isn't that dude, that Five Ghost dude, writing another new book or something? Black Market coming out from Boom. Boom. Oh, like he's writing that? Yeah. Well, isn't he doing something else for Image? He's, he's doing white suits for Dark Horse. For right Dark now. Horse? No. And he's going to be writing the uh, annual Doctor Strange from the New Avengers. So... Stuff. Um, I we have Robert Kirkman's next big thing is coming out here in a couple weeks. Out the Outcast is that what it is? Oh, Outcast. Oh, yeah. and I, I don't know. It's got a lot of steam behind it just because it's Kirkman, and Robert's a good writer. So like, and it's different. It's, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not. Well, yeah, what well, did you expect all this from Andre Three Thousand? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Come full circle. Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's a different kind of Outcast. Uh, different. It's a, different, it's a different kind of thing. Mm. No, hey, yeah, in the party. <laughs> there may be a grill involved, though. There could be. We'll mm. see. There could, there could be. Sure there uh, aren't any rocket Indians? You know, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Well, There's, I'm not interested, then. Uh, Black Science had some rocket Indians. It did. <laughs> sort of. You know, it, that issue two, it did, for yeah. sure. Mayans slash Indians. Like robotic Indians. Yeah, I mean, freaking <laughs> awesome. Um, what's the, there's one coming out from Image, uh, we, Curtis, the other day we were helping, uh, we were helping, I can't remember what her name is, um, we were going over some, that book with her, the, uh, the, it's Vampire one. Wayward. Wayward, yeah, um, look, look for Wayward, I think that'll be good. Um, Jim Zub. Jim Zub, I, I may have mentioned that, did we mention that one last week? I don't know. I, I can't remember. Here. So, uh, well, kind of were. <laughs> like magic. In spirit. Yeah. So uh, it, I think that'll be a good one to watch for. Um, they bill it as being the next uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the new generation, whatever that means. But the art for it, at least the pages they show as the sample pages, look great. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty into that idea. And then uh, hey, check out I Was the Cat. It's, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's it really is good. Like it's a it's a fun kind of. It's just, I mean, it's a simple kind of story, but it's 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 fun. It's cool. It's a good one. I like that. There was one I forgot about. Um, it's a. God, I probably am gonna butcher the name, but it's a giant robot maintenance crew. Oh yes. It's basically the stories of the people that are keeping giant robots running while they're fighting. Giant monsters. Yeah, I don't know who that's coming out from, but it's it's gonna be out in a couple months. It's in the new previews catalog. But yeah, it originally started out as a Kickstarter, hmm. um, but it, I mean, it wasn't on the Kickstarter. Like it was it was it was a crowdfunded book. Because I remember seeing it a while back and being like, that looks awesome. But it was after the campaign was closed, so I never got anything from it. But it looked great. But yeah, it's like the people that keep the ship running inside. So the whole time they're out having space battles or whatever, these are the dudes that have to try to patch the holes. <laughs> it's like it's a cool idea. 
Uh, yeah. That yeah. reminds me. Enormous. Oh, right. Enormous is about to start up again, I think, next next month, I think. And they've got their web series happening, too. It's the first video. At least the first video is out for that. There may be two now. And you got to say that uh, the Brian Wood Star Wars series has been pretty good hanging oh, there till the yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. That's been pretty good. It's, yeah, been, it's, it's been actually been really good. Right. It'll be sad to see that one go. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? If you guys get a chance, check out that Nightwing 30. Oh. On, on the website. What about the books at Denver? Oh, right. Um, How's that supposed to go? Come by the booth. Right. Say, I heard Check this. you out. Oh, no, no. Uh, come by... Okay, so come by the booth in Denver, the Top 5 Comics booth, and uh, tell us that uh, you like listening to Top 5... Or even you, you listen to the Top 5 Comics podcast and because comics, comics are serious business. And we'll give you a free copy of uh, Legend of Shadow Clan number one with the Top 5 Comics exclusive cover. So. so come by Top 5 Comics booth and say, Top 5 Comics, podcasts are serious business. Not podcasts, comics. Comics are serious business, sorry. You want to try take two? Sure. Come by Top 5 Comics booth and say, comics are serious business. And you can get eight... Special edition top five comics exclusive cover of Legend of the Shadow Clan number one, written by Dave Wall, co creator of Witchblade. That's a lot more information than I expected to come out. Drawn by Corey Smith. Corey Smith, who's awesome. Also drawn by Corey Smith. Hey! <laughs> With a guest appearance of Rocksteady and Bebop in the book. Ooh, that's true. They're that's not true. named, but they're in there. As human. Well, human form is before they were transformed. <laughs> That's what I like. Mutants in disguise. It's like robots, but not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's so a, close. Take that, Craig's beliefs. No, he's half the battle. G.I. Joe. <laughs> All right, I think, that, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. If anybody hang on that long. The key. The key. The key. The key. The key. Says a... The key. I'm not dead. The love sausage. You all need to. We gotta come with an exit song. That could be it right there. We could just see him. I touched the knee. Whoa. I don't know any more of the song. And it probably didn't make sense coming out of that. Oh, man. I know more, but I can't remember it. Wakana, wakana, tananda. Wakana, wakana, wakana.